To the average American of 1800, the West was a void, a black land of desolation, from whence no man foolhardy enough to march into it might return. But two Americans did lead a party into the bleakness. These leaders were Meriwether Lewis and William Clark. What we did only needs doing once. Thank heaven. Really? Two centuries later, what do we know about the Pacific Northwest? Those two quiet states of Oregon and Washington, tucked up in the corner, free from scrutiny. After Lewis and Clark, settlers take to the Oregon Trail and disappear into the wilderness, seeking something else. Finding the furthest corner, they settle. Pioneers, fringe elements, refugees, and heroes. Misunderstood? Yes. But I doubt they care. Surrounded by breathtaking natural resources, they tend to develop interests, passions, like how to cook all that good stuff they have in abundance. One-time hobbyists become craftsmen, then artisans, and then, sometimes, obsessives. As a writer and a cook, I love this part of the country. The fabulously quirky, obsessively talented culture of the Pacific Northwest. And it's high time we made a show about it. My journey starts in Portland, Oregon. Portland, kind of a libertarian uh, government here. Love the city, only 500,000 people. Most of them seem to be cooks or foodies. But it's not all artisanal cheese, really good organic products raised by hippies. Oh no, my friends, there is a dark side to Portland. Really, just to be one tenth as cool as Anthony Bourdain. Really, just for even, just for even a small flight in my life. I don't even think I know what he looks like. He's, uh, I would say, a ruggedly attractive man. Uh, well, in any event. Uh, why, hello, it is 8 minutes and 15 seconds after the hour of 11 and this the month of January in the year of our Lord 2009. Thank you for coming along and making a part of your listening day. We are live from the plushly appointed yet not overly ostentatious studios of AM 970 The Talker. This, my friends, is the Rick Emerson Radio Program. Thank you for coming along. I uh, appreciate it. All right, it is uh, Monday, January 12th, 2009, and welcome to Day 12. It actually is Day 12. Hey, that almost never happens. All right, well, let's hear it from you. Uh, it's uh, 503-733-2970 if you'd like to join us today. 503-733-2970 if you'd like to get on board with your comments, questions, clarifications, kvetches, kvetches, ruminations, ponderings, musings, whatever it is uh, that you have. It's 503 733 2970. 503-733-2970. Richie Bristol standing by, ready, willing, and able to pass along the observations about the interesting, the groundbreaking, the tedious, the mundane, somewhere in between, the just plain weird, strange, or unclassifiable. It is uh, 503-733-2970. Uh, all right, you can also email if you like. It's rick at rickemerson.com. Rick at rickemerson.com. Sarah at 970.am or Richie with a T. At 970.am. Uh, well, here's what's coming up. In just a moment, actually, we'll make a, a non-Rick Emerson show-related programming announcement. About uh, something exciting that's going to be joining the station lineup. So we'll uh, do that here in just a few. Uh, let's see. Don't forget one random on-air caller today. 
Today, one random on-air caller will win a uh, four-pack of tickets to see the Portland Pilots uh, play the Child Center along with Death Race on DVD. That is uh, Death Race on DVD along with a four-pack to see the Portland Pilots play the Child Center. And uh, Bridget from upstairs says, in quotes, it's very exciting. So there you go. You have it right from Bridget, who wouldn't lie about such things. Uh, so that is uh, one random on-air caller today winning a four-pack of tickets to see the Portland Pilots and Death Race. On DVD. Uh, here's what else is coming up today. Uh, CNN Radio correspondent Bob Castantini joining us from the Hill today. George Bush gave his very last press conference ever. Ever, ever, ever. And I, th- I think it happened this morning. I think it's already done. Uh, so if you didn't watch it, you've, uh, you've missed it. Uh, George W. Bush says goodbye. So that was this morning. I don't think he's going to be doing that farewell speech. He was sort of talking about it. Because he, he was... I don't know, like a, two, three weeks ago, George Bush was talking about how he, he might be doing some final address to the nation. And I think that probably cooler heads prevailed, and one of his advisors pulled him aside. Not a good idea. Not very popular. Uh, so this, I think, this morning was his final sort of hurrah. Would you kind of pass without any fanfare? So we'll talk to Bob Costantini about it. Uh, let's see what else. Steve Kastenbaum will join us from uh, New York City today. And we'll talk to senior radio correspondent James Roop, who was at last night's Golden Globe Awards, where Heath Ledger won for Best Supporting Actor. I think Mickey Rourke won for The Wrestler. And I think Darren Aronofsky won uh, Best Director for The Wrestler, which is a fantastic film, by the way. Not perfect, but I'd say very strong. I give it a good 7.5 out of 10. And I'm a pretty harsh critic most of the time. Uh, let's see what else. Cena, uh, so, yes, yeah, Cena Radio correspondent James Roop about the Golden Globes. Uh, we'll talk to Peter Carlin uh, from the Oregonian today. Filling in later on at the uh, news desk, laid off Portland media professional Ron Pivo. Joining us in the studio for laid off Portland media professional Tim Riley. So, Ron Pivo will give you the news uh, and observations. We'll also have his top five. Ron Peebles' top five guilty pleasure songs from the 1970s. The worst of all musical decades in many ways. Um, and there you go. Uh, Britney Watch, by the way, coming up today. Geek Watch, the best quote you're going to hear all week. In fact, I'm just going to play you the quote right here. All right, am I uh, up over there? All right, here's your, this is the best quote you're going to hear all week. You're going to love my nuts. There you go. And I'll give you the context for that later on. <laughs> There you go. One more time. Let me just... Uh... You're going to love my nuts. No, it's true. That sounds like the ShamWow guy. It sounds like Jerry Lewis, too. Have you noticed that? No, 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 lady. You're going to love my nuts. You know, so... All right. So we'll give you the uh, we'll give you the context for that quote here in just a bit. So that's all coming up. And then right here, finally, one more thing. Right here, I have a story so fantastic and off-putting that like a thousand people sent it to me. I actually got it since... That is the worst thing I have... I haven't even read the story. I just read the headline. See, but that's, but that's, that's really untrue. We've had much worse things mm. in the show. No, there's something about the specific thing that happens in this story that is the worst thing I've ever... The photo that read. accompanies it is pretty great, even though it's not graphic. Have you looked at the photo? Yes. It's completely non-graphic, but the photo just sells. It underscores yeah, the greatness. I have no idea about the context of the story or why, what happened. Oh, you'll happened. find out all of that. Todd the Corpse sent this to me on Friday, and I almost read it, but we were just so busy with things on Friday, and I went to get lost in the shuffle. I don't even know if I should give the headline. I won't. I'll just say, it, it actually might be time to bring back that, uh, you know, our hunt for the worst story in the history of the world. We might use this for that later on. I think that one is worse than the insect one. Uh, we'll see. I think we'll do that later on today. We'll do our hunt for the worst story in the history of the world, and this will be one of our, uh, this will be one of our entries right there. All right. Uh, we're joined today, as always, by the lovely and talented Sarah Extellan. Hello. How are you today? Hello. Bright-eyed and bushy-tailed, oh, are we? Oh, man. Yeah. Oh, so I went to this... Um, 
Yeah, because we're going to have a new sponsor on the show, the Dublin Down. That is right. Uh, in Vancouver, so I went and hung out there with my friend Heather, and then, you know, we were supposed to only stay for an hour, but that place is awesome, and we ended up staying for, like, six hours. So um, I hung out there for a while with the owner and stuff, and then uh, went home, went to bed early. I'm like, oh, I'm just going to be well-rested, you know, had a few cocktails, good conversation. Go to bed at, like, 11.30, wake up at 2.30 this morning, and have not fallen back asleep since. Uh, I was just laying there, back and, like, just flipping back and forth and back and forth, and I'd just look out the window. And so I turned my clock so that I wouldn't be able to see what time You don't want to obsess on it. Exactly. Right. So I didn't look at the clock, so I'm sitting there obsessively trying not to look at my clock. Keep looking outside, like, okay, it's still dark outside. I'm good. It's still dark outside. And it's like, oh, crap, there's the sunrise. Right, and right. then before I know it, I'm just like, well, it can't be, you know, maybe it's, like, 6 a.m. And then I look, and it's 8.45. Oh, I'm like, sucks. That sucks. Awesome. And that's the worst thing too, when you can't sleep and you're sitting there, and you and you you do that thing of like starting to dwell on like, oh God, it's three it's three forty five. Okay, if I fall asleep by four, yep, I can get like three and a half hours maybe. Okay, wait, now it's five o'clock. Okay, well that's three hours of sleep. If I get up at eight, if I get up at eight, that's three hours. I can do three. I used to do three hours in the, in high school. That's fine, you know. And the same thing. And then when you, when you see the dawn's early light, that's when you're just like, ah, I killed me. Actually, you know you're screwed. Yeah, that's. I'm just laying there staring at my ceiling, like really. Ah, and, sorry. You know, it's just when you have, and also, you know, then your brain won't shut off. So you have like a song or something going through your head. Or you start thinking about the puppy that ran away when you were in second grade, and you just mm-hmm. begin to weep uncontrollably. Oh yeah, or that's like, or you know, I'm gonna start doing live reads soon, and so like I was starting to. Have like speech anxiety, too. panic attacks, not your life. Right, so I'm laying there like, thinking about like how am I gonna how am I gonna put this together? What am I gonna do? And meanwhile, like Britney Spears, a Britney Spears song is going through my head as well. I'm just like, I just want to go to bed. Oh, I know, I get that thing as well. Where it's like, and it's always when you can't sleep in the middle of the night, and it's some damn Bay City Roller song or something. It just begins looping around it in the back looped. of your brain. Just the one. It's yeah. Um, it was the, uh, the Amy, Amy song, song. Yeah. In yeah. my head, just that chorus over and over again. So you're on about three hours of sleep right now. Yes. Fantastic. Uh-huh. Yeah, I know. I feel a little delirious. Well, you look great, though. Oh, thanks. Right. I would never guess that you're on three hours of sleep. Uh, well, I'm not hungover. I'm just really tired. You don't look it. No, no. You look fine. I, I would ne- If I you hadn't glasses, volunteered it. The glasses are hiding them. My eyes are like puffing. Oh, yeah. No, yeah. leave those on. Yeah, thanks. Oh, funny guy. Unscrew that light bulb over there. <laughs> Hello, Richie Bristol. How are you today? Uh, freaking out. Because? I just figured out that you shouldn't eat boiled eggs that are over five days old. When you say you just figured out by Googling or by hearing the gurgling sound in your stomach? Am I Googling or gurgling? Well, this morning I came in, I had my eggs from last week still uh-huh. in the fridge. And, and these I, are hard-boiled? Hard-boiled, and I mixed in them. In the fridge, though. Yeah, I put them all together from the ones I boiled this morning. Right. And then I'm like, I wonder if these smell How many funny. eggs did you eat total this morning? Three? So far? Just egg whites. Oh, I see. But Okay, so you had a bunch, and then you made... Okay, so this morning you had three eggs. Mm-hmm. But then one of them was from last week, or they were all from last I week? I don't know. I mixed them up with the ones I boiled this morning. Oh, God. I think I boiled them last Thursday or something. Oh, Richie. And it says right here, five days, and you'll get salmonella risk. You'll get what? It says you have a sam- sal- <laughs> salmonella. <laughs> salmonella risk uh-huh. for five days. Well, how nice for you. So I, I played had a pickled egg yesterday. Wable roulette. Well, see, the pickled egg will last forever, though. Yeah. That's like bar food, right? It because that'll... Because so... I've never had one. Oh, so. they're great and bad. Oh. Because cool I'm at like an Irish bar, and it's like, it's like you got to try a pickled egg. Yeah. That taste does not leave your mouth. No, no, no. The pickled egg stays there forever. Yeah. You, can I tell you this? You're actually the first person in like 10 years I've ever... Like I've known to have ingested a pickled egg. Normally, they're just sort of there as... I get the feeling it comes with the bar. Like when you buy a bar. You know, because <laughs> it's like when you buy well, a like bar. like a, a jar of pig's feet. Totally. There's like a catalog. Okay, I need, uh, I need Glasses. I need mats. I need coasters. I need tables and chairs. I need a thousand straws. Pickled eggs. And then the, the eggs just sit there, though. They're just like an accoutrement. No, people were eating them. Like I saw because it's you know an Irish pub, so everyone what? was like drinking their Guinness. And 
I have to be honest, like it was pretty gross, but then when I had some of it and then took a sip of Guinness, it actually balanced it out. But that with anything else, no, they, no. Wrong. There's a reason people, that pickled eggs are only ever seen in bars. It's like those like those really really bright red like little mama smoky sausage yeah. things. That, like you don't ever see those. Like you don't. Nobody buys those by themselves. That's bar food. You know, bar food is there because it goes with a certain kind of alcohol. Well, yeah. good for you. I'm, now, pickles, pig feet is the next, you know, oh, the next step. I will though. never eat pig's feet. I'm just saying. Have you, you ever eaten pig's feet? Uh, once when I was a little kid. Not very good. What are they like? They're gross. They I like mean, they're pickled. Well, I don't even I mean, really remember. I mean, they just, all I remember is the, the, the pickling, the taste of the sharpness of the, the pickling. Like, you couldn't really taste anything else. Is it else. like a hoof? I don't really know. I was really little, um, and it was in a bar when I was like seven. Um, my parents had taken me to a bar, which not in like a horrible way, but I, well, I don't know. Maybe it was. When I was like Listen, seven. You in your singing group? It was the place, no, it was a bar where my, no, uh, it was not for my parents' band. It was, uh, my, my grandmother was a barmaid, uh, even late into her life. And I remember when I was, uh, it was in Portland. It was at this place called, it was at a bar that doesn't exist anymore in Silverton, Oregon, called My Place. Um, and it looked like a front of a, the, the bar was made to look like a barn. And my grandmother was a barmaid there. And so my uh, mom, if I remember correctly, took me there when I was about seven. And I had asked my grandmother, hey, what are those big things in that jar? And she's like, have one. And she handed me one. And I remember chewing on it. It was just sort of, I remember like a weird rubbery, rubbery like gristly sensation. And then it was really vinegary tasting. So I don't really remember much about it. It was just kind of it was gross. I uh, yeah, I never ever once tried. Yeah, that. yeah, I wouldn't, I wouldn't, I wouldn't eat that. You again. See that movie, Ladies Man? No. You haven't seen Ladies Man? No. Oh, they have a contest about eating that bar stuff, like pig's feet and all this pickle stuff. Yeah, no bar bar food is either really good or really bad. There's never any there's never any middle ground there. Oh, so. seen in there you all right. Well, in any event, well, did you we know, all have refreshing, wonderful weekends? I did actually. You know what? My weekend was actually was actually pretty great. Um... Uh, so let's see. So Friday, Jesus, was it Friday? I, well, I guess I say that now, but then I guess it was a little bit of a blur. I don't even remember what I did on Friday. I think I might have just gone home and gone to bed. I don't remember at all. Uh, so Saturday, uh, I was just sort of like hanging around the house doing a whole lot of nothing. I did play some uh, Left 4 Dead, but I'm trying to ratchet down my video game playing lately because that game is starting to take over my life, especially because everybody I know is buying it. Because now Don Taylor... Bought Left for Dead, Bobby. So can you play with other people? You can play, yeah. Well, that's the best way to play it. Actually, is online. You know, you can play it just by yourself with the computer sort of taking over the other roles. But you know, the deal is, it's like a zombie horror film, and so it's you and three other characters. So you can play by yourself, and the computer will play the other characters for you. But the best way to do it really is online, and it's the best. I would say it's the best online multiplayer game of that type I've ever played in my life. Better than Halo? Yeah, way better than Halo. I mean, like, it, and I, don't get me wrong. And I loved, L-U-V, loved <laughs> Halo. Not so much Halo 3, but Halo 2 and Halo, the original, I loved. Halo 2 was fantastic. But you know what? This is this leaves all of that other online first-person shooter Really? Multiplayer in the dust. It is the and I'm not saying. I mean, and I don't. And I'm not like some guys. Like I don't play a million video games. Like I don't own a ton of games. I don't get every new game that comes out. You know, a lot of guys are really like that's their deal. They you know that's their primary recreation activities. They they game. You know, and that's and I'm not that guy. I am the very definition of a recreational gamer. Um, that being said, I'm a big fan of first person shooters. That is my that is my preferred style of video game. And this is not. I'll say I'm just just for me now. It's it's probably the best first-person shooter I've ever played, except for the original Quake, which was, like, 
mind-blowing. And this is the best. It, it is without a doubt, by the way. Left 4 Dead is without a doubt the best online, you know, the best multiplayer wow. first-person shooter ever. But the thing, yeah, but Don Taylor got it. James Robinson bought Left 4 Dead. Uh, Bobby from KUFO, he's getting Left 4 Dead. Mailman Chris has it. Seamus has it. So, like, at any given time, day or night, there's always someone online to play Left 4 Dead with. So, so are you playing with them? Like, um, well, wait, at this point, we haven't actually done that because we, it, even though I was just saying somebody's always online, I haven't quite synced up. You know, it's like I'm always, you know, Mailman Chris just logged off two minutes ago. But it doesn't matter so because there's always there's always nerds online to play with. Um, but I'm trying to ratchet that back a bit. So I did that on Saturday, and then Saturday night I went to see... Um, I stopped by the Film Fever Radio commentary for Jaws, so I stopped by that for about an hour and a half. Then I went to see Hell's Bells uh, at Dante's, which was excellent. Oh. Excellent, and I've never seen them before. And it was just so wrong because my wife had seen them twice, and I had never seen them, which just violates all laws of nature. So I went to see Hell's Bells on uh, Saturday at Dante's. They were doing this fancy, and they're an all-girl ACDC tribute band. And you know, the thing about those all-girls tribute bands is they can seem really corny sometimes. Like, you know what I mean? Like, a lot of times you get the feeling that, like, it really is a gimmick. And you get the feeling a lot of times with those bands where it's like, and there are four chicks who play the music of Slayer. Uh, and they're called, but it would be like, you know, come see Slayer, an all-girl tribute. To, <laughs> but you get the feeling. Is there really a Slayer? But shouldn't, no, but shouldn't there be? Yes, there totally should. But don't you get the feeling with a lot of those girl tribute bands, don't you get the sense that there is a man somewhere who just had the idea and wanted to make the money, and he went out and just fought, you know, bought four chicks and stuck them in a band together? The thing with Hell's Bells is... You get the idea that, like, it was all them, it is, a, it is an organic idea, and they can play. I mean, they can really, really play. They were really good. And they did this great thing where they did, it, they were calling it Highway to Black. They played Highway to Hell all the way through, front to back, and then they played Back in Black all the way through, beginning to end. So it was all of Highway to Hell, followed by all of Back in Black, and that place was it was packed. I mean, you couldn't have gotten another person there if you had to. Uh, so that was good. Chris Paddock was there. Tony Howard was there. And I have some great notes, by the way, about the... we got a break here in a second, but i got some great notes about Hell's Bells. I'll just read this one. This is... Uh, Chris Paddock made this observation. I can't take credit for this. Chris Paddock made this observation while we were at Dante's on Saturday watching Hell's Bells. And this is not about the girls in the band. Uh, this is about some of the girls that uh, were near us. And I don't think we knew them. I don't think they, they had any connection to us at all. But they were those girls where it's like... It's like too much perfume, too much makeup... Too much, like, glitter, sparkle body makeup all over. Mm -hmm. Too much silicone, too much whatever. All And then spent the entire evening taking photos of each other and then, like, giggling. And then and looking at them, like, no, wait, we need to get a better angle. This will look really good on my Facebook. And Chris Paddock just summed it all up. He had this phrase. He said, there ought to be a name for chicks who think they're hot but so effing aren't. And that really is that really is true. Uh, so we'll talk more about that because I have more observations. All right, and then I got, uh, so when we come back, Bob Costantini, I got more Hell's Bell stuff to talk about. Um, and if you didn't see Larry King last night, you really, you really missed something quite, quite wonderful and horrifying. Uh, I will tell you the origin of this sound uh, bite right here. You're going to love my nuts. And uh, we'll get your phone call. Stay there. It is the Rick Emerson Radio Program. Back after this. Don't Well, 
Oh, no. <laughs> oh, really? Well, here's the thing. So we were at... Um, so we were so we were at Dante's on um, I'll be very circumspect about parts of this. So we were at Dante's on Saturday for Hell's Bells, who were really again we were quite quite good. I mean I really was. I mean I, and I always heard that they were sort of the gold standard for that kind of tribute band, where it's the you know it's the girls who are like you know they're doing like is there that band there's like uh, um, the Iron Maidens, which is you know and then there's another one Maiden Seattle, which is like a bunch of chicks from Seattle that do Iron Maiden I think or whatever. But then, mm-hmm. and then there was the Black Sabbath band, and then there's that uh, there's that what was that band called? There's like there's that Led Zeppelin band, but it's like whatever, blah blah blah, girl, blah blah blah, something or other. So anyway, but, but so so the band um, Hell's Bells were really good. Here's the thing: if I've noticed about that smoking band, though, and keep in mind, I'm not a smoker, so it doesn't really even really affect me in this way. The thing about that smoking ban is you now have a whole different problem, and that problem is everybody around you having to get up every five minutes to excuse themselves to go all the way outside to smoke. And as much as it sucked for me, because, you know, there's like Tony Howard and Paddock and myself, and we're all trying to watch the band, and just like clockwork, and, and the thing is sometimes you'll get like a chunk of people to go out to smoke, but usually it's just two or three people at once. So you can never get everybody to just go outside, smoke, and come back all at the same time. They're like in little pods of two or three people, Mm -hmm. which means that about every minute and a half, some small cluster of folks next to you has to get up, and they have to walk all the way past you and excuse themselves and get all the way outside to the sidewalk, smoke, and then come back in. So there's just this endless... You know what it is? It's um, It's like being in a row at the theater, you know, going to see the movies. Imagine if you, whenever you went to see a movie... Like you were never more than 60 seconds away from somebody getting up and walking by, putting their ass in your face on their way to the snack bar or something. I mean, that's really what it is. I mean, because you can't, like, there's not even like a smoking section inside anymore. Mm. It's like they got to go outside. No, and all these people, all my friends who used to complain about my sm- not that I smoke, but I mean, uh, your social smoking. smoking. Yeah, my social smoking around them. You know, like now they're complaining about the fact that they're sitting in there by themselves because we're going out, you know, to go outside right. and, and have a cigarette. Well, you know what? That's. That's what so you get. Kind of, I don't know. It is, there is something kind of refreshing about that with all my friends just like, yeah, I'm so happy about the smoking ban. And then their asses are sitting in there watching the drinks while I'm out with you know the rest of my other friends. Well, and it just makes it a big inconvenience for everybody. It I'm does. Not gonna... It's totally inconvenient. You have to leave your drink, which makes me really uncomfortable. Right. Because um, yes. That's right. You can't take your drink outside, can no, you? No. Now those two vices just don't go together anymore. Okay. I'm not saying – look, I'm just saying this is just a just – a, hey, Richie, can you check into a – Bob Costantini, who I think we were actually supposed to talk to about like seven minutes ago, because uh, we've got um, Kastenbaum at 45, so I want to make sure we don't the two guys don't kind of run up against each other. Um, you know what I'm rescind. I'm not say so you know what I'm waiting for. I'm not waiting for this. You know what I'm fully expecting at this point though. I am expecting somewhere in either Washington or Oregon at a bar. I am expecting now. I mean, it just seems like a matter of a matter of hours at the you know days something until you hear the first report from some woman who says that she got dosed because she had to go outside to smoke and leave her drink unattended. Mm. You know, because you don't have to have any choice. I mean, I guess you could think, well, you don't have to smoke, but you know what I mean. It just seems like it opens you, and especially when you're at, don't get me wrong, I love Dante's, but it's like any place that is just filled with people. I mean, you're just inhaling just the assembled funk of like 600, uh, you know, bar patrons mm-hmm. who are all jammed in together and all sweaty, and the music is at like 900 decibels, and you're going deaf, and it's just not... I mean, it's just not it's it's just not a healthy place to be, and I say that with love. I mean, bars, bars, and especially a rock venue where you're going to see the band, 
those are just not good for you. I mean, it, it, but it's not supposed to be. I mean, those are nobody. Nobody says I'm going to go out and I'm going to stand in a room full of 700 sweaty guys screaming and going deaf because it's healthy. Mm -hmm. I mean, it's just not. Those things are not necessarily meant to be uh, good for children or other living things. Yes, sir. Um, all right. So just, just a couple brief notes though about that. Oh, and you're then... going to tell me about the incident. Which incident? Well, no, not the incident, but you were you're starting to be very circumspect. Well, there's a couple of things. So we'll t <laughs> I'll talk about a couple of things that happened on Saturday, uh, and then I'll play a little bit of this infomercial that we have, and then we've got uh, Bob Costantini coming up, Steve Kastenbaum, and uh, and so forth. So anyway, so this one says, um, this is my note from Saturday night. So Chris Paddock said, quote. There ought to be a name for chicks who think they're hot, but so effing aren't. And here's why he said this. He said it because, so we were up in that kind of, you know, the little skybox thing at Dante's, a little area where you're, you know, you're kind of up looking down on the stage or whatever, which I, when I went there, I didn't really expect that, but it was a KUFO thing. So, you know, whatever. So I'm up there and it's me and Chris Paddock and his uh, lovely wife, Tracy, and Tony Howard, who's one of our sales guys, one of the AEs up there. And we're kind of sitting back in that sort of like back wall couch thing. But there's all of those tables. If you guys have, if you guys know that sort of upper level of Dante's, there's all of those tables right up against the railing that look down. Mm -hmm. And it was like every single table is full of these girls who look like they, they look like they just got back from auditioning for one of those like you know, for one of those reality shows that is just you know for a bunch of like plat platinum skanks to be like you know like you know like one of those real housewives of but not housewives they're all like twenty something mm -hmm. I mean I don't know what it, like they all like they all were just auditioning for some sort of like the hills kind of show were they all wearing like tube tops and have really bad like highlights totally that's the thing and it's like and you know what I mean when I say too much makeup too much lip gloss too much glitter too much there's just too much. Too much, yeah. Too much like big implants and like the dress plunging. And I guess I'm kind of making them sound hot, but guys know what I'm talking about when I say that they're like girls who try so hard that they somehow just become really unattractive. And I just don't, I don't know where the line of demarcation is, but it's it's like one one or perhaps one thousand brush strokes too many on the painting, mm -hmm. and it's like way too much perfume. And here's the other thing. And I know, and this sounds like a weird thing for a guy to say, but I think guys will know also what I mean when I say this. You know what also becomes almost just ridiculous and off-putting at a certain point? When the girls are really obviously trying to get the attention of guys, which these girls were, by like sitting on each other's laps or they doing were, like, like kissing or something. seriously doing but it's not even like the sexy kissing like you know what I mean like because clearly there's because clearly it's just being done for the benefit of the guys which is all well and good except they just they're just not selling it they just they're not feeling it you know I don't hang out with those kind of girls but, uh, but, but no I know exactly the kind that you're talking about like there is the difference like there's girls who are just who are just drunk and easy and which is you know I'm I'm fine with that but there are girls where it is clearly just like it is just like a show, and they're doing the thing of, like, they're all getting together and, like, like at one point, here's another thing. Much as I love ACDC, you know what's ridiculous is when you're upstairs, and there are, again, just all of these, like, girls who look like they've just been, like, they've just been rolled in a big open bag of Mary Kay cosmetics. And then they're trying to do the sexy grind dance with each other, oh, like, man. but like to Highway to Hell or something retarded. So the band is playing. So the band's playing like, uh, you know, the band's playing like a shot down in flames, and there are the girls trying to do like the sexy stripper dance while simultaneously holding their iPhones at arm's length and taking lots of photos of each other, oh. and then getting together and looking at the photos and then giggling. 
You know, and they hold and, you know, and they're just surrounded by douchebag guys. And the douchebag guys all look the douchebag guys all look like that um they all look like that Ty what's his what's his name? Uh, from the, no, 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 not that. Well, no, but kind of that same thing. Spiky blonde hair, tan, like the pencil thin beard, looks like Ew. it's drawn on. And I like this guy, but they all look like a thinner version of Ty What's His Name from the Food Network that does diners, dives, and drive-ins. If you guys know who I'm talking about, that I forget his name. They all look like him. So it's these like skank girls and their douchebag boyfriends, and. The most telling, and at one point, and this is an awkward story, but at one point there's this girl, again, this is right out of Mulber, she's, because the other guys had kind of, you know, filtered away, like Paddock and Tracy had gone home, and so it's Tony Howard and myself, and it's not like I'm some babe magnet, but they were just so desperately trying to get our attention, and they got, like, increasingly frustrated that Tony and I weren't paying attention to them, because we were pretty much the only guys up there at that point. It was like us and, like, nine girls. Which, again, I make sound like way hotter than it was. And Tony is, you know, he's a musician, and we're both like rock dudes, so we're into the band. Like, we're there. We're here for the music. We were there to watch the band. Mm -hmm. And the girls are like doing... drunk chicks dance in front of you. Drunk chicks that you know are never going to put out. And it's like, and even if they were... Look, here's a little truth. I'm not really interested in them putting out. That's the thing. And this is a truism. And guys, you know what I'm talking about when I say this. That, like, girls like that, the girls who... The girls who are doing everything, they, the girls who look like they just came from behind one of those cosmetics counters at the mall where it's too much of everything, those girls are never really as exciting or interesting or like, you know, like naughty or whatever they're trying to like position themselves at as like they think they are or they, they, they want you to think they are. Like girls who, here's, here's another thing, here's a maxim, girls who refer to themselves as bad girls are not bad or interesting or smart or fun to be with, or sexy, or exciting. They're just not. Because girls who are really that way are, like, way too busy being the thing to, like, sit there and advertise their badness to you. And so Tony and I are there. We're watching the band, and the girls are kind of doing their sexy dance to, like, you know, If You Want Blood, or just a completely inappropriate song. And Tony and I kept, like, looking. I mean, it must have looked silly if you were sort of watching us watch the band, because some girl would be in front of us, like, shaking her ass, and Tony and I are sort of, like, craning our necks to the left to look around them so we can watch the guitar player. Mm-hmm. Because those girls in Hell's Bells, I mean, they're neither they're ugly, but they're not, you know, like, they're like they're not models. I mean, they're just normal-looking girls. But the fact that it's, like, kind of a cute girl playing an ACDC song, way hotter than any of the girls up, up in the balcony. And so at one point, Tony and I are just sort of looking around the skanks to look at the band, and one of the girls got so, I think, frustrated or confused that we weren't paying attention to her that at one point there's like a pillar that comes down from the ceiling to the ground that is like a supporting beam up there. Mm -hmm. Literally at one point, one of the girls like starts straddling it and doing the sexy dance on on just like this big wooden post upstairs, like as though she were stripping in a club. Yeah. I mean, you know, and, you know, meanwhile, Tony and I are just like, we're trying to, I can't see the bass player. Will you step aside, miss? So... It was just all very weird, and that's not and that's not even the weirdest of it. I I don't even know if I should tell this next part, but you yeah, know what? Why don't, we, why don't we talk to Steve? And Let's then talk to Steve Katzenbaum, and I will decide whether or not to tell the next totally the next half of the story. So. Welcome now to the Rick Emerson Show from New York City. Senior Radio Correspondent Steve Kastenbaum. How are you, sir? Good well. All right. How was your weekend? Was it uh, satisfying, enlightening, happy? It was a very productive weekend. Uh, did a lot. Got a lot done. Uh, when you say productive, you mean at work, around the house, both, neither? Around the house, you know, errands, family stuff, uh, 
you know, packed a lot into those two days. Really? So it was a uh, so it was a content rich weekend. Yeah, that's a good way of putting it. I would I would say that. Yeah. All right. Excellent. Um, so I guess. All I know at this point, because I've said before that all of my news really comes from, all my news comes from three sources. It comes from you all uh, when we do these uh, segments. It comes from whoever's sitting in the news desk on a daily basis, which today is our good friend uh, Ron Pivo. And it comes from Anderson Cooper. And that's it. And so, really, if something isn't talked about in one of those three forums, I could go weeks and not know that it's happened. So I was watching. Watch, go ahead. Do you watch Anderson on a regular basis? I do. I watch Anderson Cooper every night, sir. Oh, cool. I watch Anderson Cooper as a regular part of my, uh, of my... In fact, I would say this. I would go so far as to say Anderson Cooper is the only thing I watch on an on a regular basis. Uh, meaning that, like, The Shield is now gone. Battlestar Galactica, not back. Uh, the Wire, gone. Uh, Dexter, gone for the season. So right now, Anderson Cooper is the only appointment television I have, and I watch it every single night, usually with my wife. My, I'll go home, and Laura and I will sit on the couch, and we will have dinner while watching Anderson Cooper, because that's... Yeah. That's how exciting we are. I'm looking forward, and I might uh, have some trouble watching Anderson when when Lost returns to the airwaves. When is that? When is it coming back? January 21st. Yeah, see, so um, that that is the thing. I just I got off the Lost wagon like three episodes into season two. I uh, I opted out. So maybe it will become compelling again. Perhaps not. Uh, yeah. So anyway, this is all by way of saying. That on Sunday nights, though, Anderson Cooper is a rerun. They just rerun, I think, Friday night's uh, installment of that. So all I saw last night was, like, a bunch of three-day-old news and then Larry King interviewing Priscilla Presley, which was terrifying. Did you see, by chance, uh, Larry King interviewing Lisa Presley? Uh, Lisa, uh, yes. Priscilla Presley, rather? Priscilla, yes. Uh, interesting, Jesus. to say the least. I, I mean, I'm not... Look, I don't know. This is just my observation uh, as an editorialist, uh, protected by the First Amendment to the Constitution of the United States of America. So I'm not saying that this was the case, but if one were to imagine a reality in which Priscilla Presley was just high as a kite, unlike the contents of half of one of Elvis's drug cases, that would be Priscilla Presley uh, when she was on Larry King. I mean, she just looked stoned to the gills like I have never seen anybody be stoned on television. There was something going on there. I don't know what it was, but uh, it was certainly uh, an odd appearance uh, by uh, Ms. Presley. Well, and there was also that thing where, like, Larry King is in – he's in, is he in L.A. or New York? It depends on the day. He's usually in Los Angeles. So he's in Los Angeles. She's at Graceland. But, I mean, it's not like, you know – it's not like she's in, in Croatia or something, and yet every time they would talk, I don't know what the technological setup was for that, but when Larry King was interviewing Priscilla Presley, and I think this was from Saturday, and they were replaying it Sunday night, because it was Elvis's like 74th birthday or whatever, so they're doing the big like nerd fest at, at Graceland, but there was that weird lag time when they would try to talk, because he would say, so, uh... Do you find it strange? He actually said this. This is why I love Larry King, because he has no sense of tact. Do you find it strange that we're celebrating uh, a birthday for someone who is dead? <laughs> and then there's like this weird pause. And at first I couldn't tell if it's because of like technology or because she was just so caught off guard by the question. And I think, and she, you know, and then she answered, but then there would be a lag before he responded to her response. So I got the feeling that there was sort of some sort of gremlin in the system. And so the entire interview was just Larry King asking really awkward, tactless questions of Priscilla Presley, who was gave the appearance of someone who was on a lot of drugs, all of it then further hampered by the fact that there was like a second and a half response lag between like both of them. It was great. It made for like probably the most 20 awkward minutes of television I've ever seen. It was, it was really something. So 
It was interesting. Um, and then there was, you know, Anderson Cooper who was doing a rerun. So I don't really know kind of where we are with, with the Gaza situation. I mean, I assume it's just more degrees of bad, but I know you have further details on that. Well, here's the deal. It, there seems to be a split of opinion amongst the powers that be in Israel. Some have been saying that uh, the operation is nearing an end. But today, all of our uh, reporters on the ground on the borders of Gaza are saying that it's just as intense as, as it's been. The airstrikes continue, and uh, the Prime Minister of Israel has been saying, you know, patience is required here. It would be uh, a shame to give back the gains that we've made over the, uh, over, uh, the last couple of days, the gains they've made, he said, over the last couple of days, if they were to withdraw now. So the operation continues, but there seems to be uh, a split among Israeli leadership uh, as to when this is going to come to an end, when they've gone too far, or when they've gone far enough. At the same time, uh, the Hamas leader issued a very defiant uh, address today saying that the people of Gaza will, will not uh, retreat from uh, Israel, uh, that they will not, uh, they will not uh, essentially lie down in the, stand of, uh, in the face of Israeli aggression. So while all this is going on, uh, Hamas is still putting up a fight, and the Israelis keep showing video of all these houses and schools and other buildings that uh, after they were uh, evacuated or left vacant uh, in, in the path of the approaching Israelis, that these houses were booby-trapped and with, with bombs and explosives meant to kill uh, Israeli soldiers as they come in. And the Israelis do uh, something interesting. Instead of coming in through a front door of a house, they'll blow a hole through the side wall because they're afraid of booby traps uh, at the front door. And they'll just enter through a massive hole in the side of... Uh, I'm sorry, I'm just laughing because they're showing a shot on CNN TV and all the people in the control room, for some unknown reason to me, are dancing right now. I don't know why. <laughs> maybe, the, uh, maybe the rapture has come, Steve. I'm not sure. Maybe we're getting a bonus. I don't know. <laughs> well, I think we all know that's not true. Maybe, uh, maybe Ted Turner gave that, you know, gave the, you know, gave the sign, and everybody's begun to, you know, put on their Nikes and they put a roll of quarter in their pockets, and now, uh, now the time of great deliverance has arrived. Oh, you know what it is? They're doing the story about Wolf Blitzer dancing on the on the Ellen DeGeneres show. Dude, so how great was that? And let me just say this: I'm going to make this observation, and I'm not expecting you to respond to it. I'm just going to say that. It does seem uh, as though Anderson Cooper never really misses a chance to just kind of put a uh, put a little boot in on Wolf Blitzer. You know what I mean? Is every opportunity to snark a little bit at the expense of Wolf Blitzer? That's an opportunity that Anderson Cooper doesn't miss. Well, you know what it is with Wolf. Wolf never cracks. You know, you'll never find him losing it. But don't you get the feeling you'll... that Anderson Cooper wants to be the man to make him do it? I, I think that's what the intent is. It's not uh, malicious. It's to try to get Wolf to lose it on the air. Yeah. You know, I, I think that's what it is because Wolf is the consummate professional, and he never loses it. I remember watching during the, uh, it was like one of the primaries, or like maybe one of the convention, uh, the conventions of this last election, and they were doing some sort of coverage, and Wolf Blitzer made the mistake of remarking that, because there was some band playing, I think it was at the Democratic uh, convention, and there was some band playing, and Wolf Blitzer made one of those great old guy, like one of those, your dad trying to be down with the kids things, and he goes, well, you, as you know, I am quite a rock and roll fan. And Anderson Cooper just got a hold of that like a dog with a bone and went back to it about every 40 seconds for the remainder of the night. And frankly, I mean, I love both of those guys, but at one point I expected Wolf Blitzer just to be like, shut it, friend, and just give him like a fist right in the face. Like, Anderson Cooper, it was sort of like, 
it was like when um, it was like when one of your friends figures out a great maneuver in like Mortal Kombat or something like a particular button combination and just begins hitting it over and over and over and over and over again to the point that finally you just throw down the controller and you just guys go tumbling down the stairs and pounding on each other. So yeah, yeah, I don't know if it'll ever happen, but he, right. he, he's a, he's the consummate professional, very humble, gracious guy, very nice behind the scenes. And I, I think the, I think the intent there is to try to get him to uh, to lose it on the air. Yeah. Right. Well, on that note, my friend, um, are you on tomorrow, sir? Yes, I am. All right. Well, um, you know, let me know if there's uh, let me know if there's any footage of said dancing because I would like to see that. Okay, and uh, we can talk about Madoff tomorrow too. Remind me to uh, to talk about. Dude, that. Uh, is it true? Let me just ask you this: Is it true that they're just they uh, they're not even going to stick that guy in jail while he's awaiting trial? Like he gets bail and he gets to sort of be walking around. I didn't know if you wanted to hold this till tomorrow or not, but yeah, basically uh, the, the bail, uh, the request to have his bail revoked was denied. What do you have to do to go to jail in this country? <laughs> they, Isn't he uh, accused of stealing fifty-three billion dollars? Pretty much, and but but hey, you're innocent until proven guilty. You know, I went to jail because I had a bench warrant and a broken tail light at one point. Really? Yes, yes, I did. So I'm. Just... Uh, you know, actually, I know people who've had who've been dragged into the police precinct because they've gotten really strict here uh -huh. in New York. Uh, about driving with a suspended driver's license. Oh, yeah. So if you have a couple of unpaid tickets, let's say you moved and the mail didn't keep up with you and uh, you, you forgot about some tickets, hey, it happens, you know, and uh, all those tickets uh, got mailed to your, uh, all the requests for payment got mailed to your old address. If you get pulled over by a cop who's just doing a routine check and he sees your license is suspended, uh, you can be dragged into the precinct house and put in handcuffs. Well, that was that was what happened to me. Yeah, they did that. Yeah, that happened to me uh, a long time ago. Uh, but that was exactly what it is. I had a ticket that I thought I'd paid off, and I had paid off all but $10 of it and forgot to make the final payment. And then, uh, you know, it just sort of sat there. And eventually, if you don't pay off a ticket, it reverts, and it becomes magically uh, like, uh, like Cinderella's wagon at midnight. It, it turns into not a pumpkin, but a bench warrant. And then I got pulled over about six months later because I had a taillight out. And they uh, said, all right, license, whatever, and I give it to them. And then they go back and they run the numbers and they, you know, they go to, they put it through scmods back in the uh, back in the car. And then the guy comes up and he does say those fateful words. Richard, will you step out of the car, please? Oh. And you just kind of go, oh, come on, no, what are you? Oh, come on, you got to be kidding. And then I get out and he, and I swear to God, he does the. All right, please assume the position of facing the car. Spread your legs. No, come on. And you just and it was before Anders, uh, before Ashton Kutcher, but I was waiting for like Alan Funt. Took about to go. Hey, you're on camera, camera, and you're going to be sodomized in jail. And uh, so, in any event, what's what's that like being uh, in 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 the jail? Dude, it sucked. And I'm not going to pretend that I did like hard time or that I'm like, you know, I'm not like that. I've I've been I've been locked up, and I know what it's like to do a stretch or whatever. Because it wasn't. It was you know it was the Washington State, so it wasn't like it wasn't like I, they were throwing me in like the Cook County uh, jail or something. But um, and I was only there for a day. I mean, I spent a day in jail. But I have to tell you. AJ, uh, a day spent in, in jail, that's not even dog years. I mean, that's like those tortoise redwood years or whatever. I mean, it was the longest, worst day in the history of my life. It was awful because not, I mean, and again, it's like I was only in jail for a day, but it's like it was like a cell with like 10 other guys and all of whom just, you look at him, you kind of go, okay, those guys are not in here because they had a broken taillight. That guy, especially, who has a shirt covered in blood and wears a, you know, has a tattoo that says, born to rape, that guy was not in here because he had a bench warrant. And you do realize at a certain point that, like, the guys who are running the whole operation don't care about you. So um, I'll tell you more next time. I, we got to skedaddle at the moment, but uh, we will speak tomorrow, and I'll tell you more jail tales.
I'd love to hear it. Right, thank you, sir. All right. Uh, we, Bob Costantini actually just rang in. So we'll get Bob Costantini here in a moment. We'll take a break. Uh, we'll come back with uh, uh, Ron Pivo. I haven't even t- I haven't even told the rest of the Hell's Bells uh, thing. Yeah, I want to hear the rest of the the slutty girl story. No, uh, you have no idea. Um, really, I know because I heard that um, that it was pretty epic, but nobody's given me any details yet. Hey, Richie, is this Bob on line one here? You've typed line two, but there is no line two. What is the Richie? Where is Bob? All right, I'll just stand here and whistle to myself. <laughs> All right, ladies and gentlemen, from the Hill, CNN radio correspondent and news overlord, Bob Costantini. Hey there, Rick. How are you? Hello, Bob. How are you today? Sorry about the okay. uh, confusion. We had some weirdness going on earlier today. No, no, no. It's, it's confusion on my part. Ah, can I blame you for this? <laughs> Yes. Done and done. All right. Hey, uh, were you, I don't know, and I apologize for this, were you covering, because this morning was George Bush's last press conference, was it not? Uh, yes. And so can you uh, can you speak to that? I don't know if you were there or you could just... I can, uh, I can speak to it. I, I did watch it. I was not there because um, they usually announce these things about uh, 90 minutes, if you're lucky, ahead of time. That's the way the Bush administration has done it. And um, they're, sort of you, the, uh, they're sort of the gorillas of a press conference. They strike and then they sink back into the night. If you have to, if you, uh, unless you're there constantly, you kind of have to guess when um, there might have been a news conference like this. I, I, I guess I should have known. Maybe if they'd switched George W. Bush back to like an analog clock at some point, that uh, that might not have been the case. You know, I should have consulted a psychic. I, yeah. I'm not sure. Or maybe they just gave him one of those electronic tethers, like you can get for your dog, where if he gets too far away, it just sort of gives him a little shock. Yeah. Um, so what was the uh, what was the content of what well, I mean? I'm trying to imagine what George W. Bush's final press conference would sound like. I mean, is that just sort of a uh, I'm sorry, and then he just sort of runs away, or is that I mean what is it? Did he acknowledge that it was the last one? Well, yes, of course he did say it was the last one. Um, interestingly enough, uh, as an observer, somebody who's been you know at a number of these news conferences in the past, um, he didn't call on Helen Thomas the. Um, uh, uh, you know the dean of the right. White House Correspondents Association, White House Correspondents, I should say, and um, uh, which he's had sort of a running feud with her uh, on uh, you know a number of occasions uh, about things that she's written since she became a columnist. And people who and, you know, if you don't know who Helen Thomas is, she is the uh, somewhat aged, uh, diminutive woman who uh, is usually placed down in front and is usually called upon first. Uh, at presidential press conferences, and she looks a little bit like uh, Mrs. Huffnagel from St. Elsewhere, if you remember that. So He admitted, um, uh, the president admitted that the Mission Accomplished banner was a mistake, um, and also the idea that um, not being able to find weapons of mass destruction uh, in the Iraq invasion uh, was a, uh, it sent the wrong message, he said. It sent the wrong message. Not so much that, like, it was... Apparently wrong and incorrect, but that it sent the wrong. When he says it sent the wrong message, did he elaborate? I mean, what is what does that even mean? Well, what it is is he has um, he has steadfastly uh, maintained that uh, the invasion of Iraq uh, was justified, and uh, the mission accomplished banner he called a mistake. Um, he he you know is disappointed that they didn't find weapons of mass destruction. He was disappointed. He said and how uh, the uh, treatment of some prisoners at Abu Ghraib prison uh, 
came out, uh, the message that it sent to the rest of the world about how the United States treats prisoners. You know, um, the, uh, I'm sorry, go ahead. Sure. No, he he just uh, you know, but he stuck to the idea that the war was justified uh, based on Saddam Hussein's refusal to um, accept you know sanctions, the weapons of mass destruction inspectors, um, that kind of thing. Yeah. Uh, Let me just say this. I mean, this is just an observation that I have. First of all, that's a weird phrase for anybody to use. He's disappointed there were no weapons of mass destruction. That's just a strange conglomeration of words. You typically don't hear people expressing regret that there wasn't, like, you know, a big bag of plutonium sitting somewhere. Also, it just... The strange thing about that, and this is just my observation, when he says... He kind of, well, the mission accomplished, Banner, that was maybe not so good. And I sent the wrong message that there were no weapons of mass destruction. Oh, by the way, I'm sorry about, like, shocking those guys, you know, in the testicles with you know, battery cables at Abu Ghraib. Yeah, that he, but he says those, like, as though somehow he had nothing to do with it. Like, as though, like he was out of town or something on a business trip when all of that transpired. Like, you come home and your kids have, like, stained the carpet or something. Well, he did defend the idea that um, the United States, uh, you know, that, that the United States needed to get information from uh, the prisoners that, uh, you know, were uh, interrogated, uh, sometimes under the harsh methods, uh, and uh, which, of course, prompted a lot of criticism around the world about some of the methods that were used. Um, uh, Barack Obama specifically has indicated in an interview yesterday he did on ABC, um, said that he believes waterboarding is torture, um, and uh, he, he does want to close uh, the Guantanamo base because of the, the message that has been sent. Um, but uh, I, I would urge, obviously, all of your listeners, if they want to know everything that the president said, uh, to uh, go to the White House website or CNN.com and uh, get more information about it. Uh, is it. Final question here. I know that George W. Bush at one point had sort of toyed, perhaps ill-advisedly, with this idea of doing a final goodbye speech to the nation. Sort of like, uh, yeah. well, uh, and before I go tonight, one final story, you know, and uh, th- which on the one hand just seems like it would be th- th- sort of perversely entertaining and perhaps give us like a small sense of catharsis or closure. Yeah. But on the other hand, you got to imagine that as soon as he said that, kind of everybody around him was like, no, no, Ixnay, no, bad, you know, and just sort of a danger Will Robinson kind of a thing. So that's probably not going to happen, right? No, it, it doesn't seem. Oh, uh, we've bad. not heard anything along those lines. Um, of course, although it's always subject to change, very last-minute kind of thing. But uh, this was the sort of exit uh, statement, the exit um, the exit interview news conference. Well, that makes me a he sad news panda. In quite a while. All right. Well, Bob Costantini, on that note, my friend, thank you so much, and uh, we will speak thank with you. you. Are you on tomorrow, sir? Talk to you tomorrow. Yeah. All right. We'll talk to you then. Thank you, Bob Costantini. I think if I were Barack Obama, uh, a well, I, anyway, uh, I'll move on. Uh, B, you know, the first thing I would do is by executive order, I would mandate that George W. Bush had to spend the next nine years going house to house and just apologizing to every single person who's unemployed. And just sort of like, you know, and they answer the door and he just goes, I'm George W. Bush. I'm sorry about the broken ass country. Sorry. And then he just, and then, you know, checks it off the list. Next. We'll take a break. We'll come back after this. Ron Pivo going to be stepping in at the news desk. Um, you're not going to get off that oh, early. Oh, damn it, damn it, damn it. i gotta do the, I got to do the programming announcement right now, right okay. now before we break. Because I'm supposed to do it like an hour ago. Then i got to tell the other half of the Hell's Bell story. 
let's see. Then what else? I got to talk, talk about uh, this computer thing that happened this weekend. I got to talk about Larry King, and I got to play uh, the. I got to play the. Jeez, con- you got a lot of goddess. And I have to play the content because it was just a, it was a great weekend. It was a great weekend for content, Sarah. Like this, you're gonna love my nuts. So I'll give the context of that later on. Tonight, ladies and gentlemen, and in fact, uh, 11 hours from now, tonight at 11 o'clock, uh, AM 970 is proud uh, to welcome back to the AM 970 in Portland Airways, the Phil Henry Show. Uh, so the Phil Henry Show returns to AM 970 tonight at 11 p.m. Of course, see, you know, Phil was on the station before, uh, then he retired, but uh, as is often the case, the lure of the microphone was just too strong. So uh, Phil has returned to broadcasting, and he returns to AM 970 tonight. So tonight... 11 o'clock, ladies and gentlemen, the Phil Henry Show returns to AM 970. That is uh, tonight, yes. It's uh, very the exciting. The man is a genius. It really, he really is quite, there really is only one Phil Henry, so we're very excited about this. So tonight, tell all you friends, as they say in the miniseries V, uh, Phil Henry returns tonight at 11 o'clock. All right, back after this. Break real quick, come back with the news. Don't go anywhere. It's the Rick Emerson Radio Program. Emerson Radio Program. Thank you for coming along. It's 503-733-2970. By the way, uh, I was talking about Chris Paddock's quotation. That, quote, there ought to be a name for chicks who think they're hot but so effing aren't. Uh, and this uh, email says, Rick, me and my friends call those chicks, um, I think it's pronounced Fifi, five, five, whatever, but it's fem- female, female impersonators. Um, in other words, because they are in some... In some ways, they're almost like chicks who look like drag queens. You know mm. what I mean? Not in the sense that they're like flat out, flat out hideous, but just that there's just a little, yeah, it's a little too much of everything going on there. So, and uh, so, I'll put this over here. It just amazes me the time and effort that people put into themselves. Yeah. Like, I mean, like that takes hours. I would think, like doing them, like. The hair straightening and the makeup piling. And here's the thing, and I don't mean to dwell on this, but I think that, you know, I don't go out that often because I'm lame. So it's like, I, and I certainly, like, I'm not, and I, I'm not, and I never was, like, a club guy, like a dance club guy or, you know, anything, whatever. And I, you know, I'm people who are, and that's fine. It's just not my deal. Never was. If anything, I would go out to see a show, got to see a band, a concert, or, you know, whatever. So that's kind of my... You know, that's kind of my exposure to that world. And, if, you know, I've, I've, I've done these big riffs in the past about those girls you only see at rock shows. And it's like, where are they the rest of the time and whatever. But, I, you know, people who go out and they see this kind of they see this kind of girl out there and they know what I'm talking about. And the, I think, though, this is the one tiny instance where guys have evolved faster than girls have been able to keep up. And here's what I mean by that. These girls who have the like fake tan. And then on top of the fake tan, it's like the makeup that somebody just put on with a shotgun. I mean, it's literally like they took you up back with the Mary Kay hose and just, all right, hold on. 
and they just, you know, and like every pore, every whatever, gone. And then the too much frosted hair that's all up, and it's the hair is put together like it's some really like intricate tiramisu, you know, like concoction with like caramelized sugar on top. Um, and then the girls who are doing the, you know, and they're doing like the sitting on each other, and they're doing like the, you know, like like giving each other like these really like. They're giving each other these really strange sexless kisses and lap dances, you know, in front of you. Because, like, I guess it's supposed to get your attention if you're a guy. Like, it's supposed to, you're supposed to go, well, those girls are really desirable because they look trashy and they're whatever. But it's not even real trashy. Guys guys now have developed, guys have been, they've learned the spidey sense on this. And this is why those kind of girls are going to get phased out or they'll have to change somehow. You're going to see, like, a Darwinism in action, like with the pepper moth, where... I think for a while that worked, that guys would see two girls kiss and they'd be like, oh, whoa, those girls just made out. I'm going to spend the rest of the night buying them drinks because I'm retarded. But now guys have figured out the deal. Guys have figured out that about 80% of those girls are just doing it as like a front. You know what I mean? They're like it's just it's just jive. It's just there to get your attention. And they know that those girls are probably not nearly that interesting once you get them, once you get them home or out of their clothes. They're not nearly that trashy. Same thing with the makeup. Go back to Hell's, the Hell's Bells girls for a second, and then we'll begin the uh, then we'll begin the the, uh, the news hour here. The girls in Hell's Bells who you know they're not unattractive, but they're not you know they're not models. They're, I mean, you're going to see them because they play, because they sound good, and because you know it's kind of a novelty. But they can really bring it. I mean, they really are a great band. Um, and even if those girls in Hell's Bells were really carefully made up, I mean, you're going to lose that by the second song because like you're on stage and you're singing and you know the power of rock. You know, compels you and so forth, and you lose all your make. They're sweaty, like but you know what the girls all wear. You know, they all wear like the black t-shirts, and an ancillary benefit of that is you can't see how they're just becoming like completely like you know you get like the armpit sweat and whatever because like they're rocking. So by the end, like the second or third song, the girls would not be able to maintain said makeup anyway. But but those girls like are so much hotter and so much more attractive, I think, than like the girls who look like they just came off the front of, like, an L magazine or something, because guys know that that girl on stage or maybe the girl, uh, you know, who is, like, uh, you know, you just see uh, out somewhere is not wearing a lot of makeup, she will look something like that, you know, about two hours after you get her home or the next morning. All the guys know that, like, the walking, uh, you know, like the walking sample case for makeup, you get her in a good light or, you know, maybe she just gets, uh, you know, any any amount of friction on that face. She It's going to be like a whole different story. Mm-hmm. That's going to be uh, that's going to be like a Dawn of the Dead thing that you see there. So guys are no longer fooled by this. So those girls are going to have to uh, they're going to have to evolve or die. I think that's uh, there's no two ways about it. Richie, is this the guy who got into an auto accident while listening to the show? All right, we'll welcome him in a moment. Before we begin the news hour, let's actually just welcome to the uh, Rick Emerson Show, Ron Pivo. Hello, sir. Hello, Rick. Good to see you again. Good to have you back, my friend. You were here a couple weeks ago? Yeah, and uh, actually it's my goal to, to be here so often. I want to be like the Steve Martin of the Rick Emerson Show, where you make a record number of appearances, and then eventually you know, you just do entire shows that are retrospectives of my appearances. We can do Saturday Night Live presents Ron Pivo, the best. Yes, the best of. So I'm uh, very glad to uh, be back here in your presence. It's funny, a, a month ago, we didn't even know each other. Uh, we, we didn't know who each other were. Well, I knew who you were. We were sort of, I think we were familiar with each other, but yeah, we hadn't really. Uh... That's, it, yeah, and, and there were even, there wasn't even any six degrees of uh, Rick Emerson and Ron Peel. But now we text each other. We email each other. We do each other's hair. Uh, you know, there's a day in the future I think we can probably be playing uh, board games at each other's houses. I mean, the future is, is really unlimited for our friendship now, Rick. 
I'm going to go upstairs and get my day planner right now. <laughs> uh, but you, but uh, you were here. It was not. Was it the Was it the week of the great snow? No, because I think we only did one show that weekend. That was Dave Schmicki who was here. I think it was yes, the it was following week. Yeah, yeah, it was the, the week because I couldn't get out off my hill for two weeks. I think it was the week that led oh, up to. Yeah. It was yeah. the week that led up to New Year's. I think. Yes. 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 Yeah. I don't. It, well, it was the week where someone left their cell phone and you couldn't figure out whose phone it was. That's right. Did that uh, mystery ever get solved? I don't think. Well, you know, the phone's just gone now. So <laughs> my. But that doesn't mean it was ever solved. My suspicion is. That somebody stuck on a shelf or something. Or the uh, weekenders took it and sold it for drug money. I mean, that would just be my. Uh, that's just a guess. I mean, I'm not saying that's the case, but I mean, you leave anything here long enough, it'll be uh, it'll be chopped up and <laughs> wind up in a pawn shop window. Uh, let's take this call, then we'll begin the news hour. Uh, hello, who might this be? Hello. Hello. Hi. That's God. great. Thanks so much. Is this the person who got in the accident? I don't understand people who wait on hold, and it's not like you go to them and they're not there. You go to them, and they clearly are there, and then they choose that moment to go, I've had second thoughts. I regret everything. Ladies and gentlemen, at the news desk, please make way for Ron Pivo. And now, from the CBS Radio Center in downtown Portland, this is the news. Well, last night was the Golden Globes. You've already talked about it. A little bit. uh, I don't know if this was a surprising win, but Mickey Rourke won uh, Best uh, Performance by an Actor. In his lead role uh, in The Wrestler, though, he gave a surprisingly eloquent and heartfelt speech, noting that he is not used to speaking in public, and he was almost out of the business a few years ago. He thanked his uh, agents, his producers, co-stars. Then he asked the audience if he could thank his dogs, both the ones that are still with him and those that had passed on. Quote, sometimes when you're alone, all you got is your dog, and they meant the world to me. Uh, later on, he has a dog, he said, that uh, she's 16. Well, he didn't say this in the speech, but apparently he has a, a very old dog. She's 16. Uh, she's not going to be around for so long, so I want to spend every moment with her, and that's because he took her to, I think it was a, a film festival. And then uh, what else did he say about this This dog? is the chihuahua. I, this yeah. is the one part I saw where he actually thanked his 16-year-old chihuahua for being there through the hard times. And that's where, like, you're watching, it's going, so, so great, you know. And I, uh, I actually have been able to see, have you seen The Wrestler yet? Have you uh, not yet, not yet, no. So it opens in Portland this Friday. It was actually, uh, I was actually lucky enough to uh, to have seen it last week. And it's it's not a perfect film, but I would say it, it's it's pretty great. It really is. I mean, uh, some of the, I was talking to my friend Joni about this last night, and some of the buzz is, and I'm very lucky in that I managed to successfully avoid Every TV commercial and every trailer for The Wrestler, all I really knew about it, I mean, I knew the plot, obviously, and I knew Mickey Rourke, Darren Aronofsky, whatever. And I read kind of a couple stray comments on AinItCool.com, which is sort of this geek news, you know, clearinghouse for movie stuff. And so I knew that, and I knew the gist of it, and I knew that it was drawn to a large extent from this documentary called Beyond the Mat, which is a documentary about professional wrestlers, both those who are huge now and those who are, you know, past their prime and kind of on the long and ugly decline. And there's a section in Beyond the Mat where there's, um, they profile this pro wrestler, this guy Jake the Snake Roberts. And Jake the Snake Roberts, kind of back when, was huge. I mean, he was part of the W, then the WWF, as it was called. He was one of the biggest wrestlers on earth. And that was, that was you know, and sometimes you'll see these guys. And in sports, you know, you I mean, you're a sportscaster by trade and by profession. So you, you know, you know all about this. And I know that, you know, is wrestling a sport, isn't it a sport? I mean, it's a separate discussion. But you know that there are a lot of guys who they got in just a little bit too soon to where the money wasn't the way it is now. You know, when you go to the, you come to the table now, and you got 15 agents and managers and guys who, like, from go, are going to make sure that your financial situation is taken care of. 
you know? Well, well, wrestling was never a springboard into anything else. It was just you were going to be a wrestler and going back to gorgeous George, I think it was, yeah. back in the 50s. If you look at the uh, the Rock, uh, Dwayne, uh, Dwayne Johnson, yeah, he it, it's now it's catapulting you to other places sure. now. And uh, Hulk Hogan, a reality show now. Uh, Jesse Ventura became the the, the governor of Minnesota. Right. So before it was just I'm going to be a wrestler and everyone kind of rolled their eyes at you, uh, including your family. But now it is a springboard to other things. But you got to realize that for for every professional wrestler who quote unquote makes it. There are thousands of guys wrestling in in the Roseburg, Oregon's of the world who will never ever make it. Totally. Well, and I, you know, I, uh, I when I was a kid, I would come here and kind of hang out with my grandparents and my grandmother. And it seems like a lot of people in the Northwest have this grandmother story, where the grandmother was the one. And you know, I've said forever that old women love murder mysteries. Old women love to see people get killed and then have it be solved. That's why you know, Murder She Wrote and Miss Marple and Hercule Poirot and. CSI. And Quincy was one all of my favorites. Yeah, I mean, if there's somebody getting bludgeoned with something and then a guy like who's rumpled solving the crime, like old women are there. They love that. But a lot of old women love wrestling, too, or at least did back then. And I've talked to a lot of guys who echo this story where my grandmother, who I think even then was like, God, she must have been 60-something. Uh, I would come to visit my grandparents, and on Saturday nights, I think it was, there was this thing called the NWA, which is the North the Northwest Wrestling Association, maybe? I think that's what it was called. It was something, and the wrestling association. And that was one of the, not big, but not small. It was kind of this sort of biggish regional kind of wrestling league here. And my grandma would just sit there and just get liquored up like nobody's business in the, in, you know, in front of the television and just sit there and scream at the television and just yell and kill him. You know, ref, I can't believe you're not breaking it up. And they would, you would go down to see these guys wrestle. And this was kind of before it became glitzy. They would do. This is kind of like the old school regional wrestling where they would actually, it was so great, the wrestlers would come out. And guys, it was sort of like strippers where the guys from the audience would have to come down and put money on the ring. And the wrestlers would stand there. They wouldn't wrestle until there was a certain amount of money on, on the ring. And so people would come down and they'd take out a one or a ten or a five. And they'd put it down in the ring. And as soon as there was a big enough pile, then it's like the wrestlers would pick it up and they'd stick it in the bag and then the match would start. And you could bring stuff to the ring. You could bring an, uh, 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 you know, uh, a frying pan. You could bring a rolling pin or an ironing board. <laughs> and, like, the wrestlers would use it. Um, but, you know, you never hear about those guys. Those guys wrestled, and then they just sort of vanished. And Jake the Snake got in just a little bit too soon to where, you know, and you hear this case with the old musicians, too, musicians from the 50s, before the Beatles, basically, where they signed these deals, no money, nothing, you know, because they didn't have a lawyer. Nobody knew it was a billion-dollar business. Jake the Snake wrestled at WrestleMania 3 in front of 93,000 people. Pontiac Silverdome, still the largest indoor crowd for any sort of sports or entertainment event. And, you know, beyond the mat, you see him, he's doing the high school gymnasium circuit where he's wrestling for like 50 bucks a night and he's addicted to whatever and he's problems with every part of his body. Uh, and it's just, and so the the wrestler, I think, is drawn a lot from that. But it's, uh, it's quite a film. It really is. You know what's amazing about it? I haven't seen it. I haven't even seen the trailers or anything for it. But imagine two things about it. Number one, you cast Mickey Rourke in a movie now. Uh, whatever the movie is, I right. mean, you know, with all the troubles that he's had, and uh, I mean, he was a great actor at one point, but you just wouldn't think Mickey Rourke in any role at all. Sure. And and number two, if you have a premise, okay, uh, and I don't even know what the premise of the movie is, but okay, it's going to be about this 
a popular wrestler, and then he has a tough time in life. How do you sell that? How do you get any money for that? It just doesn't sound like a sellable type of movie. But like you're saying, it's a great you movie. You mean to the, to the audience? Well, even to a financer, to a producer, right. whoever, right. you know, hey, I got a budget of 50, you know, let's do a 15, 20 million dollar uh, a budget movie, and it's about a, a washed up wrestler. Right. I mean, you can't get 15 bucks Especially when you consider that the biggest star in the, I mean, I love her, but the biggest star in the film is Marissa Tomei. You know, Marissa Tomei is not like, I mean, not like she can open a movie. She's not really a marquee actress. So, so Rick, if I, if I'm a producer and you're selling me, you got, hey, hey, we got Mickey, hey, Rourke. Mickey Rourke. We got Marissa Tomei, and it's about a wrestler. Can I interest you in Jen Michael Vincent? <laughs> yeah, I mean, you know, yeah, and David Soul is going to be doing the, the lead song. <laughs> you know, you just you, that you can't do it. So for, for this guy, whoever did it, to produce it, to take the chances, and, and what's amazing, I was watching the Golden Globes, and I haven't seen really any of these movies. Um, but but some of these movies to get made, to be distributed, it's really an incredible process. Oh yeah, like Slumdog Millionaire. This guy was saying that it was a book, and then it got, someone got contacted to, to write the screenplay, and then it went to this person, da 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 For it to even get through the cracks to be distributed, let's say, in India or wherever, right. and then to, to be distributed and find a distributor. Oh, it's, I mean, you got to, I think, to get a movie like that made and distributed, finance, and then to get it into the theaters or whatever, I mean, I think you really just have to be... I mean, you really have to be a little crazy, I think. I mean, I know people who make movies, you know, like, on, on every level, and it's just... You gotta, I think, be nuts. Where that is the only thing you're thinking about. I mean, you from the time your feet hit the floor till you go to bed, that's all you're thinking. Like, how am I gonna get this thing out there? And, and, and it will take. I think one of the movies. Uh, well, it was the one that won best foreign film. It was from Israel. Uh, four years to make, just to make right, the movie. Right. So you really have you don't have a lot of money coming in during those four years, and your dream is to get it out there. And, and when you get it out there, there's there's not a a, a great chance that it's gonna well, be no a no pot of gold there. Yeah. There, there was a movie that came out a month ago. Like my daughter, well, she'll see an animated movie and she'll just want to go see it. It doesn't matter. It was a movie got, that got released in early December and it was called Delgo. Uh, it, it wasn't like a you know a, a, a Disney type of uh, deal. It was more like a made for adults. And I think Val Kilmer was one of the voices. We were going to go see it the following week. I looked in the paper. I knew it was getting released. I knew it was in the theaters. I couldn't find it. And I started you know googling it All on right. the internet. Found out. It cost $30 million to make. It had one of the worst first week uh, box office draws. It made $500,000, okay? And it got and then taken yanked it. out of the theaters. Ugh. So so for every Slumdog Millionaire, The Wrestler, right. this and that, there's the Delgos and, of the world. Well, you know what? When you go to, like, the cutout bin in the video store or whatever, you, like, see all those DVDs, like, five for, five for ten, you know, and it's, like, some movie you've never heard of. And every one of those, that's just a broken dream, right? There. That's just that is that right there is some guy. Every one of one of those movies you see that is like sitting there alone, unloved, unwatched. That represents a guy who even now is sitting at home drinking himself blind every night. Uh, hello, hi, you're on the Rick Emerson show. Who's this? It's Justin. Hello, sir. How can I help you today? Um, something happened earlier while I was listening, and uh, I just called to tell Richie about it because I thought he'd laugh because he's sick and demented. Wait, are you the guy who was in the car accident? Yeah. All right, so what is it? Uh, okay, are you okay? Yeah, yeah. No, I'm fine. It, it was really nothing, actually. What, what happened? What was the deal? I'm sitting in my car, and I'm pulling out. I went to go through a Burger King drive through to get myself a burger before I went to go pick my kid up. Right. So I'm sitting at the Andreessen Costco in Vancouver, and I'm getting ready to take a right. And a car turns left, and the big truck behind me apparently didn't see that there was a car still coming. Mm -hmm. And decided to try to drive over me, right? but I stopped him. But the thing that was funny is I'm sitting here in my little Subaru wagon and some big 2009 Chevy pops a hole in my bumper. I get his insurance information, and I look, and it's from Enumclaw. <laughs> and you immediately thought, 
of the big horse. You know what I'm talking about. Yeah. yeah. Kenneth, you talk about Kenneth Pinion style. Well, I don't know the name. I just know the Enum cloth, you know, and take them out Enum cloth style. The yes. whole, like, you know, For people work. who don't know what we're talking about here, there was um, a, a very, 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 very widely read and forwarded news story from the sleepy little town of Enumcloth years ago about a man who died. This is a true story, and they've now made a documentary about it called Zoo, speaking of strange movies, uh, about a man who died uh, while have, after having uh, relations with a horse. And he had been, um, he let's was say, the horse's little buddy. Let's say punctured in really an unpleasant way that led to some internal uh, leakage. Anyway, he's dead. So, uh, but they made a whole documentary about it because I guess it had been going on for quite a while at this farm in Enumclaw, where it was sort of known among aficionados of that most unholy love that, like, hey, if you, uh, if you want, if you want to, uh, like my my father used to tell us not to have horseplay, but I guess if you were interested in horseplay, you would be like, no, 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 yeah, you're gonna go down, you're gonna go down to the to the to the rocking uh, M barn, and then you take a left, and it's the third stall. And I guess it was like a known thing. This guy in Enumclaw, misadventure, dies. Hey, my colon is leaking. Blah blah blah, dead. Now there's a whole documentary, and now Tom Likas will actually uh, will actually take you at Enumclaw style, which I think is a, the whinnying of a horse, and then I think a guy going ah. So actually, it's got it's got like the porn music playing in the background too. That's great. Well, I'm glad you're. Uh, you know, the the whole horse. Well, I'm glad you're okay, sir. I'm glad you weren't uh, injured in the accident. Well, I just found the just the similarities between the big truck hitting me in the backside and it's from Enum Claw just kind of made me chuckle. It's sort of an interesting bit of allegory. I was like, you know, I got rear-ended. It's not that bad. I don't have a hurt neck. Everybody lived and everything. And uh, the guys from Enum Claw, that's funny. All right, thank you, sir. Have a good day. Right, there you go. Well, what, what a, yeah, what a fortunate. I, if I were him, I'd buy a lottery ticket today. Seriously. Holy cow. Enum Claw. All right, we'll take a break. We'll come back after this. Is it already 1230? Good God almighty. We'll return more Ron Pivo around the corner, ladies and gentlemen. Uh, later on, we'll do Ron Pivo's top five guilty pleasure songs from the 70s as well. CNN Radio correspondent James Root, more of your phone calls. Uh, Geek Watch coming up later on today. Britney Watch and the best soundbite you've ever heard. Stay there. It's the Rick Emerson Show. the Rick Emerson Radio Program. Don't forget the Phil Henry Show returns to AM 970 tonight at 11 p.m., ladies and germs. Uh, tonight at 11 p.m., the Phil Henry Show returns to AM 970. The CMS says, yes, Phil Henry and the Rick Emerson Show in the same station again, the way the good Lord intended. Uh, let's see. He says, he says, now give me Tim Riley back. My world is complete. But he follows it up by saying, I just got permission from my wife. Yes, sadly, I do need permission to subscribe to Tim Riley's podcast. So there you go. Uh, you can subscribe to Tim Riley's podcast at RileyLive.com, uh, ladies and gentlemen. RileyLive.com. Uh, okay, we are once again uh, joined by Ron Pivo. Hello, sir. Hello, Rick. How uh, How is everything going so far? Everything is going fantastic. Um, how are you feeling on the classic one to five scale at this very moment, Ron? Um, uh, two and a half. You, you know, it's funny. The last time you asked me how I felt, it was at the end of uh, my, my stint uh, in December, and you asked me, real quickly, what song best describes your life? Well... I, I, instantly, I just thought, okay, what's my favorite song? Which is Tom Petty's "American Girl." American Girl, so, which is that. weird, by the way. We I heard it in the car too after yeah. the show. So yeah, you know, and Sarah kind of pointed it out later. She was like, 
Why do Ron people? Yeah. Why did he say American girl describes him? (laughs) So it really didn't hit me until my sister called me a few minutes after the show, and she's like, Ron, how does American girl describe your life? And I go, you know, I wasn't thinking. If someone would have given me a few minutes to think about what describes your life, then I would have thought about, you know, crazy after all these years, whatever, something ridiculous. But but in that but instant, not so much a song about being a woman. No, I just yeah I, I just don't think American Girl really reflects my life or my lifestyle right now. Uh, so I I, have I mean to, don't get me wrong we're not passing judgment if it does hey, I you know you know it's a big world out there we don't care exactly but uh, so apologies uh, go out for me I had no idea and it was the first thing that popped into my mind and so uh, uh, it won't uh, who, to whom are you apologizing yeah. exactly I I don't know I, I think you're I, apologizing to yourself now aren't you <laughs> yeah I'm just this I'm, is... I'm trying to come to terms with something Rick and that American <laughs> girl just does does not describe my life and for two weeks I thought maybe it have did. you been obsessing on this. Uh, no, not so much. How often every day would you say you've been thinking about the fact that when I asked you what song described you as a person, you said American Girl? I don't think it was quoted you as a person. Am I revising that, now? Yeah, that, yeah, that's revisionist history. Because uh, I think the bells so what would... what song would play in the opening credits of the story of your life? Well, so and you said American Girl. I, hey, my whole weekend was filled with 1970s songs, okay? Kind of come to... Uh, and 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 I had some help with that, so I'm not. I, don't, I can't even think of it right now. My mind is is going in a hundred different directions, um, so I don't know. The best part about this entire thing, by the way, is that you have now talked about. You've now used the phrases "my life" and "American Girl" yeah. like a thousand times. You know what? I, let's just put, throw out like "free falling." Okay, how's that? That's probably best for a, a, a laid off uh, TV personality in this town. But uh, so that was that was strange. Well, if you'd and, like to make that choice, we're not going to stop you. <laughs> I mean, really, if let me, you're just you know whatever. Let's uh, let's make as they would say a 360 degree turn, which I've actually heard athletes say that before. <laughs> I think we're going to change things uh, 360 let's go degrees. In a, uh, let's go in a different direction, Ron Pivo. Yeah. Uh, okay. I want to say weird things, Rick, don't happen to me. I think they happen to you probably more than they happen to me. Do weird things just happen to you? Like you're walking down the street and all of a sudden you'll see a car accident? Yeah, more so to Sarah. Sarah okay. has a lot of strange things happen. She's like some weird temporal distortion. Is she? Okay. Well, no. something happened. I, I, I met someone for coffee on Friday, and, and uh, it was probably out in your neck of the woods, 28th and Burnside. There's a coffee shop right yes. there. Uh, as I'm getting out of my car, I see in the corner of my eye someone is there. So I don't know if they're going to rob me. I don't know what's going to happen. So I'm prepared. I like how you're in, see, again, because you live, you live out in... Uh, it, when Southwest it Portland. I'm in Southwest Portland. Now, see, but why... This is the safest neighborhood probably in the United States. See, and so, again, but you, it's that whole thing of, like, oh, Rick, I was in your neck of the woods. And so immediately <laughs> you go to... somebody, I'm assuming they're going to rob seriously, me. Seriously. <laughs> like, so I saw a person on the street, and so immediately I felt that I was going to be robbed. Let me tell you, people just don't come up to me while I'm getting while I'm in my car. It just uh-huh. doesn't happen. So I could have... Southeast, North, it doesn't matter. It could have uh-huh. happened in West Lynn, but someone was there. And so I saw the corner of my eye, and I didn't know what to, It was just getting out of a car. And so all of a sudden, it was a homeless person. So naturally, saw. you were afraid. Uh, no. But I, look, I, yeah, I, I embrace the homeless. I give them okay. money every time I can. All right, fair and, enough. And that's what this lady asked for. She asked for some change. You have some spare change. And I just said, ma'am, I don't have any. I might have any after I go into the, the coffee shop there. And so uh, uh, she follows me, and she's waiting outside. And I get a cup of coffee, and I see she's still out there. And I go, you know what? Instead of giving her money, I'm going to give her food because I think she's obviously hungry. Right. Give me a pumpkin scone. 
Got the pumpkin scones. That's exactly what the homeless want. Yeah, a pumpkin. I could have gone uh, cinnamon scones. Pardon me, can I get a non-fat uh, <laughs> ginger chai biscuit? And so I get it for her, and I'm thinking I did my good deed for the day. I hand her the bag. I go, ma'am, I just here's a cinnamon scone. I hope you have this a This is the whitest day. thing I've ever okay. heard in my life. Can I get a cinnamon scone for a homeless person? Yeah, and so I hand her it, and she looks at me, and she goes, uh, you know, I can't eat sweets. Could you get me some hash browns? <laughs> okay, that is wonderful. Honest to God. That Honest to God. That's pretty great, actually. Well, she's health conscious. I mean, really, we should all be so concerned with the state of our teeth, Don. I, hash browns is all she wanted. I, if she would have made that clear to me when she asked if me. she placed an order. Yeah. And so I go, ma'am, I go, I got you. I'm starting an argument now in front of Starbucks with a homeless person. I go, ma'am, I, I got you. have hash browns at Starbucks? She, well, I think what she wanted was one of the sandwiches, probably. Oh, okay, those that, are good, the breakfast sandwiches. Is this at Starbucks? It's like by... You're saying Burnside, but it's like by Sandy. It's the Laurel Hurst Theater one. That's the one. Oh, I know exactly. Okay, I knew right by the by Holmans. Okay, I know what you're talking about. Yeah. So, I I mean, I I can't eat sweets. Get me some hash browns. (laughs) (laughs) Why don't you get me some jobbing? Why don't you get me some working? And so the uh, person I met there, I told them the story, and, and she started laughing. And she goes, well, if she goes to that restaurant over there, they've got hash browns. And actually, that's exactly where the homeless person was walking, towards that other restaurant. Had she just confused? So she thought... Did she think that you were going into a place other than Starbucks? In other words, had the homeless person confused the restaurant into which you were going? It could have happened, but she was standing outside of the Starbucks, and she saw me walk in and saw me walk out. In a way, though, don't you, that's almost kind of great. You know what I mean? Just the you know the the audacity. <laughs> well, I just I got her the scone, and I thought I was okay. Here, I'm being a you know a good guy, and here's a scone. I hope you know someone can get you some dinner, but she uh, she can't eat sweets. I do like the idea that she wasn't asking for anything that was healthier. You know, in other words, she wasn't saying, like, I need something that really is going to uh, provide me with the nutrients I need without, uh, you know, causing me to have gingivitis or some, uh, m- you know, metabolism-based crash later on because she wanted hash browns. Right. And and the Starbucks was packed, by the way. So people are probably looking at me like, okay, we got a guy arguing with a homeless person <laughs> over a scone and hash browns. I mean, <laughs> so I, I just couldn't win. I felt That's quite I, wonderful. Uh, yeah. So that was, uh, that was the strangest thing that's happened to me in quite a while. Excellent. Ladies and gentlemen, again with the news. Ron Pivo. Even though that, that that it is considered news, I guess. It's news it, from the life of you, the American it, girl. Right. Yes. That's, is it going to be a while before you venture into the scary southeast again? You know, look, I lived in Fairview for eight years, mm-hmm. and people, some people don't even know where Fairview is. Well, Wood Village is where the dog track used to be until it right. closed down. Fairview is just north of there. So, I I embrace East County. I mean, when you say East County, some of your best friends. Uh, you know, live on the east side. I know a lot of people in East County. When I go over the river... You just wouldn't want your sister to marry one. I mean, right? That's the... I understand. Right. right. I know what we're saying. You know my sister's listening, by the way. Is she? Hello. Hello. How are you? Uh You know, and I know... I I can guarantee this. I know uh, how well I know my sister. During the 70s songs, she will call up and she'll either argue, disagree, or something like that. Is she older or younger? She's two years older than me. And and we grew up in the 70s, and I'll go over this when we do our song list. But uh, she was going over some of the songs. So I go, hey, Jackie, I, I got some, I'm doing this thing, and yada, yada, yada. And uh, she started suggesting songs. And, and no, I don't want to do that. And she said, you know, Captain and Tennille and this and that. I go, Jackie, it's my... So let me just say this. You you're fighting with homeless people over scones and hash browns. Right, you're fighting you with your sister. I would say that there's some issues that need resolving inside Ron Pivo. Yeah. Are these... Uh, let me ask you this. How many of these argument issues that you've got, this sort of strife and discord uh, with you know that marks all of your interactions with other human beings, how many of these issues would be lessened or resolved if you accepted uh, the fact that your gender dynamics inside are not quite sorted out. If you really well, just in, accepted the fact that you were born a woman, I mean, do you feel like, like you'd be better off? 
Well, number 11 on my 70 songs was Helen Reddy, I Am Woman, Hear Me Roar. And I, I crossed that off my list because I just didn't think it Number 11? Here. How many songs did you pick? Seriously? Well, <laughs> no, let me just say this. So, Supreme, we're going to give the top five. Right? Top five. <laughs> so, Ron sends me this email, and there was a snafu where it got sent somewhere else. And so I said, hey, can you resend that to me? And he sends it to me, and I came in and I told Sarah... I said, look, uh, so Ron Pivo uh, is going to be here uh, today, and he's going to do this top 570 songs. And just so you know, I forwarded you, because Sarah is going to assemble the, the actual songs today. And I said, just so you know, he sent us like 50 songs. So just disregard everything beyond like five, and I don't know if I mentioned, just forget the rest. You know, if he says anything about it, just, just glare at him. You know, so. Hey, so what I came up with, because I thought it would be a little more catchier, is um, top seven songs of the 70s. Apparently that's now been whittled We're going to disregard that. Yeah, we're going to move. We're not <laughs> we going to do that. Because honorable mention counts yeah, as that's well. That's not going to If you can just tell me which one you want to pick. And I'll any, of the, uh, any of the ones. And I'm not getting, getting you any hash browns either. Okay, here we go. Right, here's, I, uh, I want to read this news story. This Ron is kind of funny. This is out of uh, Jeremy Ferguson wants to be the next mayor of Milwaukee, Oregon. Right now, he's the interim mayor, and in a filing uh, to be the full-time mayor, he says he wants to make the city, quote, one that people don't just pass through, but one that people will slow down and look at while thinking, what a nice place. Not going to happen, Jeremy. End quote. As opposed to what people are currently saying, which is, holy cow, are we in Oregon City yet? Is it, his name is what? Jeremy Ferguson. How old is Jeremy Ferguson? Uh, I think he's in his early 30s. He works for TriMet. Yeah. And uh, that is the, uh, you know what it is? That's the eternal optimism of youth. Yeah, I'm going to make Milwaukee a destination town. Not going to happen, sir. <laughs> uh, he wants to put it in the ballot so people, you know, that's his motto. And that's, I guess, what he's going to put on the slogans, his flyers. And I'd like to be a... The slogan is going to be, but the slogan is going to be, wait, don't just drive through? <laughs> what yeah. is the slogan going to be? Well, I, I, I think this is a mission statement, uh, kind of like the Jerry Maguire. It's a mission statement. He, he wants Milwaukee to be a town where people slow down. But apparently they speed through Milwaukee now, well, yeah. and he wants them to look at uh, the city of Milwaukee and, and say, uh, what a nice place. <laughs> Are you paraphrasing? Well, I know. I have his exact quote, but... He wants people to say of Milwaukee, what a nice place. As they are driving through. On their way to somewhere else. On their on their way to Estacada. He wants them to acknowledge it as they're on their way to someone else, but not actually... Keep on going yeah. through. Not Milwaukee, come spend your money raise our revenue, perhaps buy a house and right. boost the real estate market. Just what a nice place, like as you're headed to, uh, you know, as you said, to Oregon City. Yeah, well, he says that he, he wants the city to be, and this is a quote, one that people don't just pass through, but one that people will slow down and look at while thinking. What is What, what are you nice looking at? What is it? That, I mean, aim big. What is it you're looking at exactly? Uh, the car dealerships? I guess. I mean, I would, I would say many. And don't get me wrong. I mean, uh, you know, it's a fine place. Every city has something to offer. I'm just saying it seems like maybe it's not a uh, it's not a uh, it's not a town built on great visuals would be my point. Perhaps the aesthetic of Milwaukee is not. I mean, look, I mean, it's not like you're driving through going, hey, look at all these pristine waterfalls in Milwaukee. I, you know what? Look at this nature trail in Milwaukee. What no. do you? I, I, when you say Milwaukee, I, I don't even have a mental. I image. just think Tanya I don't Harding. Know what Milwaukee is. I either. just think of Tanya is Harding. Selwood or Milwaukee? Yeah, yeah. Milwaukee well, is south of of south Selwood, of and it's north. It's it's in the it's in the triangle of Oregon City. Well, like uh, if you were to get on like uh, McLaughlin, yeah, that's, and that's just. A, like, you know, Southeast McLaughlin? Like you pass, is it, like, way past Oaks Park, like that? Well, I never go that way. I'm terrible with directions. But, I mean, I if you were to, like... Heading down there. Yeah, that's 99. You're heading, uh, and you go... It's like by, you know, like you're going... It's, very good. it's, like, you're, it's, like, it's like you get to the Acropolis and just keep driving. Okay. You know what I'm talking about? You know, like... I've never been to the Acropolis, so I've driven by... But you know where it right is. That, there's yeah, that Pietro's yeah. there. 
I have to drive. My shrink is in Milwaukee. Um, I thought you weren't seeing a shrink anymore. Well, he told me I was wasting my money. Yeah. Uh, when I went to see a shrink, and by the way, how great is that? I've actually been rejected by a shrink in Milwaukee. That's so helpful. there you go. Milwaukee, a great place to come, uh, unless your shrink is there, in which case you're apparently just throwing money down a rat hole. How about this one? Slow down. Get some psychoanalysts here. <laughs> Slow down. Come to this. Come to one of these uh, places where a big boomed woman in a bikini spills coffee on you. That'd be great. Um, well, I told you that there was one of those like drive like one of those espresso hut places. It was like one of those like, but it was like Dee's espresso. It wasn't called that, but you know, like one of those little you know like little uh, sheds. It was like a coffee shed that you drive, oh, yeah. you pull your car to. And it wasn't like a bikini place as such. I think they've got those here. But it was like, you know, but she was just some girl. And, you know, like she was, I mean, whatever. You know, it's a capitalist society. Make money however you can. But she was, you know, very low cut, very, you know, uh, very uh, buxom. And uh, was obviously trying to angle into better tips with that. But that, but then. That was really not what I was expecting you to say. When you said better tips, I was like, ooh, wait, what? No, like the fine, yeah. <laughs> cash kind. Uh, but then she she spilled coffee on me. And then also was like she was like playing up way too much the, you know what it was? She was like um she was like a stripper that just or like the girls in the balcony in Dante's who were trying way too hard and it just rings so insincere that she's like so um, what are you gonna be doing today? And I was like, I and I don't remember why I was there. I might have been on the way to the shrink and I'm like I don't know I'm just go, doing going to my shrink because I'm crazy. How about you? I think I just said oh just running some errands which is like the default thing, and she goes and she says something like oh so um. I like your car. I mean, you know, and don't get me wrong. I like I'm your in a car. Ford, I'm in a Ford Focus. I love my car. Who compliments like a Ford? Car? Who compliments a Ford Focus? Other Ford Focus owners. You know what? It's a great car. It's not a sexy car. Let's all just acknowledge. I love. I love that car. Really, you know what? It runs. It runs without issue. It gets great gas mileage. Uh, you know what? It's it's inexpensive to buy and to maintain. I love my car. Not a sexy car. So she's, I like your car. And I'm like, really? I like your patent insincerity. Can I get some cream? I'm going to leave now <laughs> in any event. All right. Well, make a note, uh, Milwaukee slogan. Later yeah. for a high concept thing? Yes. Milwaukee slogan. Here's yeah. Ron Peebo, ladies and gentlemen. Okay. It has taken most of his life, but after 26 years, builder Graham Parker has finally solved the puzzle of the Rubik's Cube. When he bought the toy in 1983, Yuri Andropov was the leader of the Soviet Union. Breakfast TV was a novelty, and music CDs were in the shops for the first time. I cannot tell you what a relief it is to finally solve it. Is this a fake story? Like, are you reading an onion story? No, look at his, look at his picture. He's Let me see real. the picture. He looks happy. That's, that's, I wish I could be that happy about something stupid. He had, uh, he goes, I have had wrist and back problems from spending hours on it, but it was all worth it. When I clicked that last bit into place and each face was a solid color, I wept. His wife, Jean, said it had felt like there had been three people in their marriage. What do you say to that? I, a man who is obsessed for a very tolerant wife. 26 years, and he's working on it night and day. I mean, some women get mad at watching sports too much. I, I mean, guess. part of me was thinking, like, oh, we got to get this guy on, you know, because uh, we're a radio he's show. He's one of God's special people, though. But see, he's not, he's married. Well, I guess even God's special children can sometimes get married, or can they? With the end of his face, he looks a little... He looks a little... Um, he looks a little jet travolt. And a spokesman for the governing body for competitions involving the puzzle, the World Cube Association, who knew, uh, said it was definitely the longest it has taken to finish the cube. Have you ever finished a Rubik's Cube? I've never even started one. Have you owned a Rubik's Cube? I think I have. Sarah? No. Never never owned, never tried. All right. Can anybody here name uh, two other Rubik's products? Did, did they come up with a round one? They're what? Rubik's Globe okay. for the win. Well done, Ron Pivo. Look at you. Yes. All right. Sarah? 
the Rubik's octagon. You're just guessing it. That's, like, that's just a ridiculous guess. Yeah, just, just, uh, is that the so Rubik's dodecahedron? Damn me, Ron. There was the Rubik's uh, missing link, which was uh, rectangular. It was like, uh, I don't know. I mean, it was like, it was like, uh, I, this is dumb. I don't even know how to describe it. But it was like a long rectangle. It was, I was going to say it's like a log, but with the corners planed off. You know what I mean? But it was like, uh, it was the thing. Uh, it was like a bunch of blocks, but like hooked together. There was the Rubik's link. Uh, there was the Rubik's snake. And the thing about the Rubik's Snake is I don't even think you were supposed to solve it. Like, I don't think it was a puzzle. I think it was just a toy. It was just like, it was just this long, well, like it was a snake. Uh, and, and you would just bend it into shapes. You say it was kind of snake-like. But I think it was just like a thing you could bend into shapes to amuse yourself. There was Rubik's Globe. Uh, Rubik's World, I think, is actually what they called it. And there was the Rubik's Revenge, which was a regular Rubik's Cube, but instead of, instead of 12, no, 9? How many were to a side? Nine to a side, I think. Instead of nine to a side, there were 16. Uh, and it was like an exponentially d- more difficult Rubik's. I've solved none of them, by the way, ever. Is, is this no- I mean, I, I, You're not looking at any notes. So is this knowledge off the top of your head? Mm-hmm. It's really more to the back and to the left of my head. But yes. Serious. Yes. Fascinating. Is this going to be another thing where he tells people I'm autistic later? Do you think I'm autistic? <laughs> Do you think he's kind of like Rain Man? Well, that was just weird. I, I don't, I'm not going to label you yet, but um, that, <laughs> yes, was, yes. that was give me another hour or so. But that was uh, that was strange. Well, let me ask you this: What both of you? What remember when you were little? There was obviously games, toys, objects that you just chased all over just to get. What, you mean what, that you to purchase that you were like trying to track yeah, down? That it was kind of like the thing you that, must have. Yeah, everybody. Well, everybody had, and and I don't know if manufacturers made less of these so that they became more valuable. But was there anything growing up that just you just have the must-have toy. By the way, you're listening to KCMD Portland, a proud part of the CBS Radio family, the network of Edward R. Murrow. A must-have toy. Is it something maybe we not a toy? Maybe not a toy. Just something, something it, that you now had is, to have. should this be something that we eventually did get, or something that whether we got it or not, we wanted it. Yeah, well, either way, either uh, way. Yeah, oh. the uh, yeah the green machine, which was sort of like a super big wheel. You know, kids remember the big wheel with like you know it was like a little sit down. It was like a sit down. It was like a recumbent tricycle. Yeah. Uh, and it had the big rear uh, plastic wheels and the big huge wheel in the front. Mm-hmm. There was a green machine. So it was like a giant tricycle. You, you've never seen a big wheel? Well, I've seen a big wheel. Yeah. Okay. The the green machine was like it, but it was like a hella big wheel. I mean, it was like it was first of all, it was it was bigger. It was physically the whole thing was just larger. But the selling point of the green machine was that whereas the big wheel had the rear brake handle you would pull, the green machine had these two levers in the middle that you could use, like you were almost operating like a crane, and you could pull those, and you could pr- presumably, if you were going fast enough, do like a spin. Like you could do like, you right. could go yeah. and do uh, whatever you call it. Like you could... 360? 360. Yeah, yeah. And I would never able to get I coveted one, but I never got one. You, you run, Pivo? Well, I just remember, I don't know why, growing up... Was, was it an easy bake oven? No, no, no. Uh, it was, believe it or not, and I, was Pop Rocks. You coveted Pop Rocks? You weren't allowed to eat Pop Rocks? Well, no. I, look, I, I wasn't that mobile when I was about seven years old, so getting to a store. But I just remember Pop Rocks were, were hard to get, that they only sold them at certain stores. And so some kids would come to school, and they would have Pop Rocks. Oh, where'd you get it? Where'd you get it? Oh, I got it here. But And then I would go to certain stores, and they would not have it. And so I thought Pop Rocks, what, were they plentiful here? I mean... I, I never had a problem getting Pop Rocks where I was growing up, but maybe that's just my my town. I uh, I was I could never find Garbage Pail Kids. I would go and they were always gone. But Pop Rocks, I never had any difficulty getting a hold of. Really, it's interesting that you coveted a thing 
Like, I'm on, like, the green machine, which is kind of expensive, and you had to buy, but, it, like, you were covering a thing that cost, like, 15 cents. Uh, because I couldn't get it. You, it was just not a matter want, of... You always want what you can't have. It wasn't a matter of finances. It was just a matter of, like, they were always gone when you would go. Uh, yeah, and, and and people would come to school, and they'd say, oh, no, no, I got it at this store. Would they share their Pop Rocks? I don't think that's a good idea, no. But, I mean, you would, so, like, you, but had you even tried them? Um, I think I had probably tried them, and I liked them a lot. And it was just the fascinating little pieces of candy. Well, it's candy that explodes. In your mouth, yeah. And uh, they, I just remember from my childhood, that was just one thing that I remember was just, it was hard to get. I don't know why. It was, and that, look, when you're a kid, everything seems like it took forever. So so maybe my wanting them and not finding them was like three days. By the way, this, uh, we'll take a break here. We'll come back with more. This, by the way, totally pal- uh, balances out uh, my whole nerding out about the Rubik's thing. The fact that you just took like the molehill <laughs> Of pop rocks and made it into a mountain of angst. You're that just you are as weird as we are, Ron Pivo. Seriously, working through some issues I'm left and right. We can play games. Uh, I can go to each other's houses, do Pictionary, whatever you guys want. I mean, this is a, this has been a bonding experience. You're not going to suggest Twister the next time, are you? Because I feel like that's where this is inevitable. I really don't like board games, to be quite honest with you. And we'll take a break it back. Back after this, ladies and gentlemen, it is the Rick Emerson Radio Program. Thanks so much. Thanks. This is the theme of my life. Back after this, ladies and gentlemen, Ron Pivo with the news desk. Later on, Peter Carl and your phone calls, Jim Rupin Moore. Don't go anywhere. It's the Rick Emerson Show. You stay right there. Radio program. It is uh, 503-733-2970. All right. Still to come. Oh, wait. Hold on. Let me make a note to myself. Hunt for the worst story ever. Oh, oh God. my pen is dying. Damn it. Hold Ron Pivo, do you know the story, story he's talking ever. about? No idea. The worst? Okay. Um, well, we used to do this bit on the show, and we kind of, we didn't really get rid of it. We just sort of, I mean, I guess we retired it, but, uh-huh. you know, we didn't, we didn't get rid of it. We just sort of... I don't know, put it in the box or whatever, put it on the shelf. Uh, we used to do this bit, and it was we would take two stories, real stories from the news, actual just, uh, you know, straight off of like, uh, you know, the newswire or whatever. Two stories that were both horrifying. We would read them both, and then with the audience would vote, like, which one was the worst? Like, what was the most horrifying of the two? And then we would just, but our goal was, and then that one would, it would like, but it was like sort of elimination style, but it never ended. So it was like a bracketing thing, but it was like there was no winner. And so we would just be, and then we'd do it the next week, and we would see how long a story could remain the champion until it was bumped <laughs> off by something worse. And, I mean, we had some really... always worse. And I've kept some of them, by the way. I've kept an archive of, like, the five best-slash-worst ever. The pool girl. See, there was that one. There was the one with the camel. You know the one oh, with the camel. the camel one. There was and the, the one with the spiders. There was the one with the uh, back to front. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. Uh, there were all, like, medical mishaps. And at one point, there was a story that was actually so awful that we just 
we just stopped doing we a segment. To... We just had to quit. We just. I'll we tell just... you what it was during the break. We'll tell you later. It's, it's so terrifying. But we might actually bring it back because of the story I'm holding right here in my hand. You sure you don't want to see the photo that goes with it? Oh, no, no, no. Should we just make Ron read it blindly? Oh, I don't know. We'll see. We'll see. i got to find a... Anyway, uh, we'll re, uh, resume with Ron Peebo here in just a moment. Also, we'll uh, we'll talk uh, Jim Roop, Golden Globes, and so forth. Uh, hello. Uh, wait, hold on. I'm doing these in the wrong order. Hi, you're on the Rick Emerson Show. What's up? Hey. Hey. Uh, a few things, quick things. Yes, uh, I'm a resident of Milwaukee, and I'd like to help out maybe just... If they're going to do a brochure to get people to stop in town, I have some, some points of interest. Are these uh, points no of interest? stopping in-, in town, just driving through. <laughs> just driving through and waving. What are your points of interest, sir? Okay, first we have a wonderful... Now, before uh, hold on. Before we proceed, let's make sure that we're not mentioning any businesses by name. Uh, no, no. This is, this is just a, Well, the first one is a, is a, is a public works uh, piece, amazing piece of engineering. We have the Kellogg Creek Sewage Treatment Plant. It's the thing you smell when you're going down McLaughlin Avenue towards Oregon City. Uh-huh. We also have... Um, uh, well, it's a landmark. It's a business, but it's also very, very. Uh, it's a land, it's a big airplane. Have you guys seen that going down? Milwaukee? Oh yeah, no, no, no that, that, no, I've eaten there. I've eaten at that restaurant. Yeah, yeah. And, uh, that that uh, that's in Milwaukee. Okay. Uh, one other thing. Oh, a couple other things. Um, Rubik's cube. Do you remember the Rubik's cube uh, cartoon? Yeah. Uh, now see, I didn't, but somebody sent me an email and it all came back. It was a talking Rubik's cube. Yes, I used yeah. to watch that. All right. And um, one other thing, I wanted to. to I know yes. the, the, the love your nuts thing. Uh, I've seen it. It's hilarious. Hold um, on, you're talking about the. You're gonna love my nuts. Yes. Yeah. Can I, I? I got one thing. You might. You. You probably know what I'm talking about when I say fettuccine, linguine, martini, bikini. That's what I'm talking about, sir. <laughs> and that's the new white wheat sourdough English muffin bagel. Oh, it's 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 All right. awesome. Well, we'll give the whole context for that thing later on. All right. Yep. Th- thank you, my friend. Later. All right, there you go. Uh, all right, so uh, so we will uh, resume uh, the news at the news desk with Ron Peebo in, in one moment here. Let's welcome now to the Rick Emerson Show from Los Angeles. So little to do, so much time. Uh, Jim Roop, CNN Radio correspondent extraordinaire. Are you feeling better, sir? Yes, I am. Thank you. All right, because you were you were in a bad way the last time we talked. You were. And I was. I honestly, I've never been in a long time anyway that. Bad. Yeah, you sounded. I mean, you came on. It was like vo- voice full of voice full of rasp is what you had there. And, and then I, I think I slept for like a day and a half. Well, see, there's something to be said for that. There is something to be said for just going and just losing consciousness for quite some time because either part of the problem was that you were fatigued and so you're, you know, the sleep actually helps you, or you're just sleeping through the worst part of the sickness. You know I what I mean? I may start faking that every year, <laughs> just like, to get that kind of sleep. It's like, uh, you know, no, no, uh, you can't, no, da- no, okay, no, daddy's going to sleep, kids. You can't, uh, no, no, no. <clears throat> yeah. Yeah, just, uh, pretending you have a fever of 112, you know. I, just I can... swear, man, I, I I didn't realize nearly two days had passed. Yeah, no, well, see, there's something, and there's something great and satisfying, but also unsettling about when you realize that you have actually slept for the better part of, like, let's say, 45 hours. Yeah. You know, where you kind of go, oh, Wow, that's really disconcerting. Because then you realize, like, yeah, like all the things that could have happened uh, during that time. You know what I mean? Uh, So, I mean, Britney Spears could have been committed and released and committed again just in the space of those two days. Oh Lord. Were you at the? So, were you actually at the Golden Globes thing last night? Yeah. All right. So it's. Oh wait, here, here we go. In bold, it says, CNN's Jim Roop was at the awards and reports on the winners, the losers, the glitz, and the glamour. So. Let's discuss the glitz and glamour. They really say that. They, I thought you wrote it, maybe. Of course not. It says you're reporting on the winners, the losers, the glitz, and the glamour. Please not to discuss the glitz and glamour uh, of the Golden Globe Awards. Well, you know, it, it, it was a stark difference from last year's news conference, if you remember. I mean, the glitz and glamour came back, the gowns, the jewelry, 
you know, the uh, the tuxedos, all the red carpet, the amount of money. Uh, it's weird in this economy why they still do that, but, you know, uh, it, it, was a, it had to be millions and millions of dollars. But it was all there, man. And all it's, it's all it's Hollywood glory. And were they doing the uh, were they doing the gift bags again? Didn't no one's talking about gift bags anymore? Because I think that that's the sort of thing that would make the public hate you if you're a celebrity right now. Yeah. You know. Some... Uh, you know. I think they've. I think what a, what it, it it morphed into because of the tax issue. Uh, celebrities donating those gift bags to be auctioned off right. uh, to, for charity, and then I think they just discontinued them altogether. Now I'm sure. That every celebrity that that comes receives something, and every celebrity that presents or is involved in some way, shape, or form receives then again something else. They just don't really talk about they it don't as talk loudly. About it yeah. no. oh, I can see that. All right, uh, and then so I, I was kind of getting text messages from people last night who I guess were uh, was it on TV? Yeah. All right. See, I don't even know. So it was on TV, and but see, you know what do I need a TV for? I got you. <laughs> you know what I mean? Really? I mean, it is the best. Here's the great thing about how I would so much rather have you come on and discuss the Golden Globes, Jim, than to watch it because. Like, you are sort of a TiVo in the sense that, like, you'll give me just the interesting parts and you will skip everything you know I don't care about. You're like a TiVo that anticipates. I don't even have to touch the remote. It's like the TiVo itself just begins fast-forwarding to the action sequence. Well, there were some pretty good moments last night. Um, one, I, and I, I'm sure it got bleeped out of the West Coast feed because it was tape delayed. But the, uh, I think it was the director of The Wrestler, Mickey Rourke. Uh, yeah, so the, Darren Aronofsky's the yeah, director. Flipped, yeah, flipped... Uh, Flipped him off, uh, flipped um, uh, Mickey Rourke off when he was up on stage accepting his award. The camera had just happened to turn on him, and he flipped off uh, Mickey Rourke for something Mickey Rourke said. With, with love, I'm sure. How great was that? Yeah. You know, and, and there's a lot of, I mean, Colin Farrell in the pre-show dropped the F-bomb a few times. Good I mean, the great thing about the Globes is all the alcohol. Right. And it just flows freely for just days before. I wonder how many times a year you use the phrase, the great thing about the blank is the alcohol, Rick. Other than that, it's a bit of a wash. You know, we should start counting that. It's early in the year. Let's start counting it, and let's add that up at the end of 2009. Let's see how many times. Well, I'm going to write down one here. Found, found CNN's method for getting you interested in any story. <laughs> you know, sir, like the next time O.J.'s on trial for something, you know, just make the sure that there's... The thing about O.J. is the alcohol. Exactly. I mean, just make sure that there's like a, you know, the that there's a... Hotel bar. The hotel bar. There's a bar right there in the courtroom. You know yes, what I mean? There is, yes. Where the judge says, look, just don't get out of control, but here you go. Here's, <laughs> here's a bottle of vodka. Um... So uh, people talk about like the wrestler uh, Mickey Rourke uh, won for that, and I was wrong. I think when I said that Aronofsky won director, that was actually Danny Boyle for Slumdog yeah. Millionaire, which I've heard mixed reviews of. A guy well, I saw it last night it. said he didn't know what all the big deal was, but I've heard uh, my friend Chris Paddock saw it said it was fantastic. Yeah, I've not seen it. I, I, I got to see it now because it is it legitimately has a chance for an Oscar nomination. The Oscar nominations are next week, right? And the ballots are due, I think, five o'clock today. The nomination ballots by hey. the five thousand voting members of the Academy. What is up with this? What is this movie? This new because they keep doing the Kate and Leo together again. What is the new that Kate Winslet Leo, uh, Leonardo DiCaprio the Revolutionary Road movie? Revolutionary I don't know what. Road. What is that about? I don't know anything about it. I think it's about a married couple who realize none of their dreams have been realized. I think it's a depressing. So it's like, so it's the story of every single person. It's the story on of my life. I was going to say it's, it's like I'm looking in a mirror. Jim. That's why I chuckled when I said that. <laughs> as if, as if, what? That's a new concept. Seriously. 
So it really, so it's the story of, you know, I was just going to, you know, the ads might as well say, like, it's the story of you, whoever you are watching this. It's your life. It's on every film. man's story. But you're, but you're thinner and hotter. Uh, so, because Leonardo DiCaprio looks all, you know, like scruffy and beautiful and whatever. And Kate Winslet, who was just, uh, was she there? Oh, man. Was she gorgeous? She, yeah. Wow. I, you know, I got to tell you, even now that, like, you know, she doesn't have the buzz she used to with Titanic, obviously, but, you know, whatever. She is just, just such a, she's just such a truly beautiful woman. She yeah. really is. I mean, and she's she's so she, you know, she's one of those people when she walks into a room, you go somebody important's in here. <laughs> you can sense it, the vibe. Wait, hold on. You know? There's a disturbance yeah. in the force. Somebody important's in here. Uh, and like when Harrison Ford walks in a room, you get that same feeling. Really? Do you? Does he has the he has the aura? Yeah, as they it, say it, there are there are guys like that. Orlando Bloom, you would think he was a PA. <laughs> Orlando Bloom, you're like, hey, craft services, give me a bag. Exactly, you know, if you, you strap a radio and a headset on them, you'd say, hey, you know, they need a they need a bottle of water over there on the set. You know who yeah. I bet is like that? I bet George Clooney has that vibe. I bet George Clooney walks into a room and you like the hairs just prick up and you got to go. Wait a minute, somebody crucial is in the room. Somebody yeah. important is here. Yeah, there are people that have that quality about them. I'm and, gonna guess uh, another one. Charlize Theron. Yes. Yeah, that's scene. There you go. It has nothing to do with looks. Just some people have that. They have um, what Stan Freeberg used to call the gazinkus. There's a certain, you know, magic, just a certain, the, the something, the special something. Yeah. Um, and you notice those people right away. Of course, we have to talk about this because it's, you know, such a huge deal. And then, of course, you know, these are considered kind of a bellwether for the Oscars. So Heath Ledger won. This yeah. is the first text I got from, like, nine different, like, Heath Ledger just won, righteous. So he won Best Supporting Actor for the, uh, for the you know, playing the, the Joker Knight. in the Dark Knight. Uh, so it's the speculation that he'll definitely get nominated, even if he doesn't win next week. Oh, I think so. I think I think he'll be nominated, and I think he'll win. I, I think it's a. I mean, it as as weird as that movie is, and as as lousy as everybody else in that movie seems to be, um, that really was. And you have to admit, that was quite a performance. Excellent. It was fantastic. I mean, by somebody who you would never think would pull something like that off. Well, yeah, I mean, because, you know, Brokeback Mountain notwithstanding, I mean, he hadn't, he just hadn't done a lot. I mean, he was, uh, you know, I mean, I, I know Sarah loves, and Sarah loves 10 things I hate about you, I know, but, um, but you know, it's not like anybody looked at Heath Ledger and went like, hey, he's going to turn in the performance of a generation with whatever, but, and I just love the idea of a psychopathic clown winning an Academy Award. There's just something so great. It's like <laughs> Hannibal Lecter. Remember when, like, Silence of the Lambs? Swept everything, and you're going, wait a minute. This is a movie about one guy who eats people's livers and puts on their their skin faces, and another guy who tucks his member between his legs and dances around someone else's skin, and it just won every award. It was so great. So, ah, good times. I love friend. Hollywood, man. Uh, I do indeed, sir. All right, are you on tomorrow, my friend? Yes, I am. All right, we will speak with you, and have a good day, Jim. All righty. There you go, Jim Roop, ladies and gentlemen. All right. Hello, Ron Pivo. Hello, Rick. How are you today? Good, good, good. All right. What is your favorite film of all time? Oh boy, all time, huh? That would be. See, now I'm thinking. I'm not. I'm not going the no, route. No, no, I... gut instinct. Yeah. Say yeah. it. Is it? Uh, is it Glenn or Glenda? <laughs> no, I. I would say, uh, you know, I don't know. Victor Victoria. You know, I loved Rocky. I, I could watch Rocky. Oh, see, now you're bluff. See, you're punting. You, are you mean totally... the Rocky Horror Picture Show? You know, I've seen that a lot. A lot. Uh, I used to go to, you know, did they, they had to hear where you throw all the stuff. Did you guys used to go to that when you were kids or last weekend or what? <laughs> what yes, character did yes. you play? Anyway, no, 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 wait, no, no Sarah I, actually is. I didn't I, go that route. Here's the thing about Sarah. Uh, Sarah is a huge fan of the Rocky Horror Picture Show. Mm -hmm. She loves the movie. She loves Tim Curry. She loves the music. Has never seen it live, and I keep saying like you're a bad American. You gotta go. Like oh, you can't. Yeah. I know. Do they still do that? Oh yeah, yeah. every every, every week at Clinton Street Theater. Oh my goodness. Every yeah. and we the Halloween one. We were actually uh, we helped to present the Halloween performance, 
And I still started like, you gotta go, you have to go, you have, that's a thing you have to do before you die. And she kind of resists for reasons that don't. Why do you resist that? I, I don't think you've ever I told me. I have other things I'm doing on Saturday nights. It's at midnight, though. It's just, it's one Saturday out of your life. Yeah, it's, it's midnight to two. You know, the problem was I... I don't like being singled out, though, and I'm afraid, like, if I go, then they'll know that I've never been before, and then I'll have to go on stage. Well, you just lie. No, the key is just to just to not admit that it's your first time. Yeah. That's the thing. When they go, are there any virgins here? Just lie. That's the thing. Don't don't ever admit that because then you get dragged up on stage. I think there's certain and there's certain things you can do and not bring just just bring a couple things. You don't need to act out every scene. I mean, the 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 people, the veterans will do that. Bring some newspaper when it's raining. Bring some rice for the wedding. Uh, you don't toast and you're good. Exactly, those three things and and, and that's it. And they'll know that you're a rookie. They'll leave you alone, but at least participate in the process. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. So and I mean and realize I mean look. And I say this from a place of love. This is just like you trying to bash on Southeast, but go, no, 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 let me tell you. I lived, you know, um, which somebody, where did you live? Fairview. And somebody's claiming that's actually Northeast, that you're in denial. Uh, but um, Well, no, no. When you get that far out east, there is no Northeast, Southeast. It's, I think that, no, so far. no, 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 the label stops. And when you're in Fairview. It's no man's well, land. Cross street. Well, look, look it, it, technically it's Southeast because it is. Uh, or I'm sorry, it's northeast because it's north of Burnside and it's east of the river. But when you're so far out there, I mean, we're we're at the mouth of the gorge. Labels become unimportant. Yeah. Do you, hey, I live in Hood River. Oh, Hood River. That's, oh, that's northeast because because I guess technically it's northeast, like in the same way that I don't know, like Toronto is northeast. So well, because when people say northeast southeast, that's what part of Portland. Well, okay, now that's a fair that, view. The city. That's a fair point. Thank so you. so just like you were, uh, you, you know, you were citing that before you railed on my neighborhood and saying that you thought you were going to be robbed or something. Right. I can say this because I was one, but really, the thing about the Rocky Horror Picture Show is when you go there, even if they do, because they'll do this thing of like, are there any virgins here tonight? And that means you haven't seen it. And then you say yes, and then you go on stage and whatever. And so you can either just lie. Or if you do it and you go on stage and I know they do a thing and some guy does something or whatever and whatever, just just keep reciting to yourself like they're just drama nerds. Like that's it. Like they're all like two hours away from going to a Sherry's and just sitting there and saying like you know ye and like and there are a bunch of people who spell fair with an e at the end of it. I mean that's the thing, which God love them. But I mean that's that really. Fairies, F A E R. Exactly, and they all shop. They all go to a shop with two p's and an e. So they're really no one to be. They're, it's no one to be afraid of. Or spell color with a U. Yes. Here's, I think they're Europeans. Ron people, ladies and gentlemen, mm-hmm. at the news desk. Yes, okay. Uh, I've got a Britney watch for you. Do you? Yeah. Here's your Britney watch for Monday. Britney Watch for Monday, Ron Pivo. If you went to Harvard and love Britney Spears, well, then we have a job for you. Late last week, according to TechCrutch.com, a post went up on a Harvard-only job message board announcing that Brand Casting Unlimited, the company that manages BritneySpears.com and all Britney's digital media and online properties, was looking for someone to corral all those sites. Yes, they're looking for one Harvard grad to become Britney Spears 2.0 media manager. It goes on. Wait, what? I'm so I'm so confused. So she's so this, hiring? Yes. But this is wait. So this is to be her web 
To run all of her web stuff? Exactly, yeah. All her oh, online okay. stuff. All right, so, so like the webmaster for all of Britney Spears' online properties. The new employee would be asked to develop interactive programs such as contests, engage with fans by posting messages, responding to questions, and moderating discussions. It's weird that they went right to Harvard for that. Yeah, yeah, that is. And it's uh, a Harvard-only posting. Right, but but you can find it if you go to uh, TechCrutch, that's C-R-U-C-H dot com. That's, you know what it is, that's, still, that's her dad at work. That is totally the dad. Uh, Jamie Spears, that his whole thing is like, you know, like, no, 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 we're going to know. Har- only, the smart people. Total, only Harvard's good enough for my baby. Uh, you know, he's not going to accept anybody anywhere else. Here's so. the skills you need. Uh, you're a social media expert with, uh, I don't, I've never even seen this word. It's Google Analytics? SEO? Yeah, I, I didn't know. Please dispel. I didn't know it's spelled G O O G L O E. I know that Google can be L-O-E. used as a, like, as a I noun. A typo on a Harvard message board. That sounds wrong. I think, I think they're talking about Google Analytics. Okay. Google. It, in other words, being able to track, I'm making this all up as I go along, but it sounds convincing, to track web trends and yeah, usage and, yeah. and to see, you know, because there's that thing on Google where you can see what people are searching for on a given hour, day, month, or year, you know, to look at the trends. I think Sarah's right. I think that is a Harvard misspelling. All right. Uh, so uh, you have experience building, launching, and managing communities online. You are uh, addicted to social networks such as MySpace and Facebook, technology and social media blogs, and playing around with new technologies such as Twitter. Uh, you're constantly thinking about how they can be leveraged by a branded social network. Oh, my God. It's like I'm sitting in a department head <laughs> meeting. Could you Wait, imagine? was that out loud? <laughs> so can you just, are we going to have to monetize new media revenue streams at some point here? And Yeah. Could you imagine how the interview would go with Brittany? I can't. I mean, well, that's the thing. is like you, you, you know, wherever she is right now, Brittany has no idea that any of this is happening. <laughs> yes. She's oblivious to all of this. Yeah. She's just backstage just going like, you know, like, okay, my higher power, higher power. All right, step five. So, so uh, you uh, go to Harvard, huh? <laughs> no, they're gonna yeah, they're gonna keep her like way. They're gonna keep her away from all of these folks. Yeah, so she doesn't uh, even know what's going on. No, excellent. No, all right. Is this a no? Is this a two part Britney watch? Yeah, because I gave you the other one. I know. Dude, I, I right. just found this one. It was kind of interesting. I just wanted to, I wanted to make sure because I didn't because I I want to make sure to save. I have all these observations about Britney. I want to make sure that I uh, parse them out correctly. Okay, all so right. this is a Britney watch part two. Excellent. Uh, <laughs> this uh, hilarious. Uh, hold on, that's not the beginning. Uh, Britney Spears is so desperate these venerable publications state to know more about Kevin Federline's deadbeat girlfriend, Victoria Prince, that she's asked her two young children, Sean Preston and Jaden James, to spy on the couple. Uh, the singer who divorced Federline in 2007 is said to be so jealous that she has Sean Preston and Jaden James to report back on what their father gets up to with Prince, a six-foot-tall blonde and former volleyball player. And wait, so who is the girl? So who is Kevin Federline dating? What is her name? Victoria Prince. And she is a six-foot volleyball player. But I, I mean, is that her whole profession? I, I, I guess it is. That like it's like the uh, who's that? Like whenever the, you see like the U.S. poet laureate, like, what do you do? I'm a poet. No, for a job. No, that's it. I'm a poet. Like <laughs> yeah. I always wonder. Like when you see, here's the thing about female volleyball uh, play. You know these these women who are like, and they're all like these blonde Amazon women. You never see them in real life. They're only like on episodes of Entourage. You know what I mean? Where it's like Turtle going drama. We gotta go. There's gonna be the U.S. female volleyball team or whatever. Like they're only ever there as a plot device. Yeah. yeah. And so Kevin and apparently to, apparently to have sex with Kevin Federline. <laughs> um, well, in this way, I think we all know that Britney is just like every single uh, other divorced person on earth. Okay, now I want you to come back home and tell me what slut daddy is sleeping with. I mean, that's the whole deal, right? Like, if you have some sort of ugly divorce, kids just become, 
like kids all become little mataharis if if you're divorced, where it's like you're gonna send you know you're gonna send the kids over and they're gonna report back on like whether daddy is smoking pot again or whether mommy's uh you know mommy started to cut again uh, or or what you know or who anybody is having you know so t- does mommy have any special like uncles spend the night? You can tell me it's okay. Don't tell her I asked though. I mean, yeah, she's uh this is all from. Uh... A reputable source called thehollywoodgossip.com. I trust it implicitly. Yes, so we obviously know it's it's true. Uh, she's asked her boys uh, what Victoria Prince is like if she spends the night. She's also asked the bodyguards to milk information out of Kevin's bodyguards and quizzed his nanny and friends. That's fantastic. So it just never ends in the uh, Spears Fetter line. I do love her. Well, that's the whole thing about me going to, because I'm going to see her in Vegas in April. And... You know, people have asked me why, you know, like, what, what, what is the reason why you're paying to see, you know, and they say, well, you know, she's not really going to sing. It's going to be lip sync or whatever. And that's, it's fine. It's all, I mean, that is irrelevant to me. Um, it's like I was having this, um, well, I'll just, I won't, I won't have time to tell the whole thing, but I, I'll say that I, uh, I took my, uh, my, I have a MacBook, just got a MacBook, with which I am just ecstatically happy. I mean, it really is just, it's just one of the best things I've ever bought. Congratulations. Thank you. Uh, are you a Mac user? I used to be. See, now that's weird. What do you mean you used to be? I don't know. It, have you gone back to Windows? Because uh, that never happens. Yeah, yeah, we did, we did. I don't, I don't know the process involved. I, I don't know how it happened, but some one day it did. That's like going back to pupa stage. That's odd. Yeah, it's just we, yeah, we had uh, a Mac, we loved it, and we decided uh, to to go a different direction for whatever reason. A new I, direction? Yeah, I, I don't know. Well, in any event, uh, so <laughs> anyway, so I have a Mac, and I, you know, like all Mac users, I just, oh, it's so beautiful. I just want to sit and pet it, you know, or whatever, and. um I had actually just been, uh, I had been at a, uh, somebody's house, I'd been in sort of a party the night before, and I was telling some people, they're like, hey, because they're all Mac users, I'm like, why'd you make the switch to Mac? And and I was telling me, you know, like, well, you know, I, I've always loved Mac products, but I had to budget for it because they're kind of pricey, and there were certain applications that I wanted to be able to run, and, you know, and frankly, I just, I had a PC, and, you know, it was inertia, you know, if something in my house, like, I don't have a flat screen TV, not because I don't want one, but just because I got a regular TV that works, and I worked in radio for so long, I became a real tightwad, and it's like, I'll get a new TV when the one I got breaks. But, I don't know, about a month and a half ago, like I was at home doing something or other on my Windows machine, and it just like for the 500 billionth time, it just froze and crashed. And it was like, you'll need to unplug and like put it through the dishwasher and then try to get, I mean, it just, you know, it just completely froze up and just imploded. And I just snapped up like, that is it, I'm done, you know. And the thing about Macs is, typically speaking, that Mac operating system, it just works. I mean, it's just stable. It just doesn't crash. So I went to this part, I'm like, yeah, and so the final straw was that my Windows machine crashed, and the great thing about the Mac OS is it just never glitches, it never freezes up, ever, ever, ever. So my instant karma for that was, of course, literally the next afternoon. I'm like, well, you know, uh, you know, my wife's making dinner or whatever. I'm like, I'm going to answer some email. Mm-hmm. Open up my MacBook on, you know, and immediately, <laughs> and just like goes to the, you'll need to restart your computer, something bad has happened. And I thought, okay, let's not panic. And I hit the restart button. Goes dead. Open, you know, comes up again. Screen. <laughs> You'll need to restart again. I thought, all right. And that's when the creeping panic starts to set in. You know, the, the creeping fear. And I did like I reset like several times, and um, and finally I was like, oh god, it's not working. Oh god. All right. And unlike a Windows machine, which crashes so often, you kind of figure out how to deal with it. I ne- I didn't know anything about Macs. So anyway, long story short. I took it in, and it turned out that, yes, the only reason it crashed is because I have Windows installed on it, too, to run a couple of things. And, yes, Windows had, in fact, crashed my Mac, so thanks for that. But as it boots up, it goes to the last place you were. Like, here's the last thing you were doing. 
And, of course, the last thing I was doing was listening to a Britney Spears record. And the guy looked at it and he goes, Britney Spears, huh? And I just kind of went, yes, it's a good record. Let's, can we fix this? Uh, but so the thing about Britney Spears, and then we'll end this whole uh, cavalcade of whimsy. The thing about Britney Spears is you have to kind of separate her from the music. I know she's not singing or playing or writing any of it. That's not like the, it's the, well, the, the, who, who is singing. You know, it's like a whole team of. Well, I mean, I'm sure she sings, but I mean, they augment it and tweak it and fix it. I mean, I know that they've. I know Britney's essentially a CGI character at this point. When you listen to the record, like she has no real input on that, which is fine. But. But the music itself is actually is actually pretty great, and I want to see the spectacle. And it's in Vegas, and I'm going to be there anyway, and whatever. And also, it's like when you used to buy tickets to see Guns N' Roses or, uh, you know, like uh, the Brian Jonestown Massacre. You just want to be there on the off chance that it's the night that she just implodes and just shoots herself on stage. You know what I mean? <laughs> you know, where she comes up, she's, ooh, baby, ah, screw it. Yeah. You know, and then you can tell people you were there. Yeah. So. For, for the final Britney Spears concert. Exactly. Yeah. There's your uh, Britney watch for Monday. Your Britney watch for Monday. All right. Back after this with more of Ron Pivo and his magical top five around the corner, plus more news. Peter Carlin and all that. Stay there. It is the Rick Emerson radio program. The Rick Emerson recap here at mornings at 10 a.m. Followed by the Rick Emerson show until 3 p.m. Only on AM 970. The Mike O'Meara show. Only on AM 970. The talker. The Rick Emerson Radio Program. It's 503-733-2970. Here's what's coming up, ladies and gentlemen. Uh, don't forget, tonight marks the return of the Phil Hendry Show to AM 970. That is tonight at 11 p.m., ladies and gents. Tonight, 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 tonight. Be there, be there, be there. Tonight, 11 p.m., the Phil Hendry Show, uh, show returns to AM 970. That is tonight at 11 p.m. All right. Um... So, later on, I mean, before the end of the program, we get about an hour and 15 minutes, uh, Peter Carlin from the Oregonian uh, will join us. We'll do, we will bring back, and really, it's, Ron, it's perfect that you're here today because you've never heard this bit, the, um, it's the worst story in the history of the world. So, we'll actually bring back, I think, the story that, when we ended the bit, was still the champion. And then, we'll put it up against this story that is so awful, Sarah couldn't even, did you even get past the headline? No. No. And just thinking about the headline now... You sure? Look at the photo. Just, yeah. All right, there you go. So we'll get to that in a bit. And uh, Ron Peeble will do your top five as well. It is, now, this top five, I think we'll get to this in the next hour. It is your top five guilty pleasure 70s songs. Please do explain. Yeah, it's just the, uh, I grew up in, in the 70s, uh, so I listened to a lot of AM radio and went to a lot of uh, functions where they played disco music. So uh, you, you put the funk in function? Yeah, I did. I uh, I put the champagne in Gloria Champagne King. Uh, but so it was, uh, I listened to a lot of AM radio, grew up on AM radio, and so some of these songs uh, have just been etched in my brain, and I can't get rid of them even if I want. But they're songs to. that you do like, even though you might not I, say it in 
polite company. Well, songs for this I haven't heard in 30 years, but I remember loving them when oh. I was about six or seven years See, old. See, that's the best kind of list. Because it is a fabulous list, by the way. Thank and by you. fabulous, I mean fabulous. And sometimes those songs really hold up, and then sometimes you go back and you're like, what was I? Oh, God. They're good. Awesome. I haven't listened to a lot of them for a while. Well, you know, when I was listening to them over the weekend, they, they were just they were so different because the 70s was a time when it, everything was just great and wonderful. And, I mean, maybe, well, maybe not, you know, when you were you know, in line for, for gas, and you could only get gas on Mondays, Wednesdays, and Fridays. I don't know if you remember that, Rick. Oh, I do. I, I mean, it was just... A, I mean, it was my parents, but I remember, like, lock, sitting in the car with my, yeah. and my dad buying a locking gas cap, and, yeah, and the big sign, like, no gas, you know. Yeah, I totally remember that. So, to me, I, you know, the 70s was, was a time which was was great, and it was fun, and, and maybe, you know, when, when kids are young, everything is great and fun, whether if it's 1973, 83, 93, or 2003, because that's just, you know, you don't have any worries when you're a kid. I just remember just, just the early 70s, mid-70s, just being so much fun. It was a simpler time, Ron. It was very simple. And I lived on a street where there was uh, just a, there was like 15, 20 kids. We were all out at, uh, you know, at at night. We'd play, and and it was just, uh, it was awesome. It seemed like it went on for 20 years, but I only lived in that one house for about five years. So this will be the soundtrack to your 70s youth. Soundtrack of my life, ages 6 to 11. So that's coming up in the next hour, as well as Peter Carlin. Before this hour is up... Uh, we'll uh, reprise our hunt for the worst story in the history of the world. This, however, the news desk is Ron Pivo. Well, I think we have some breaking news. Oh, sure do, do. that's right. So is this, hold on, What should I play the breaking news center, then the open? Yes. Uh, the, okay, ladies and gentlemen, hold on. Here is your, where's my, where's my mutual center? He's the president, resident. He's kind of in charge. He's got the whole country staying. That's my bush. Life is hard, that's the price of fame. When you're president, everyone knows your name. Hey, what's that thing? It's my bush. I can't believe he's actually in the White House. That's our mail. I'm going to miss this. Me too. That's my bush. Uh, ladies and gentlemen, here's Ron Pivo with your ad hoc. Bush watch. Okay. Uh, the White House says President George W. Bush will deliver a farewell address yeah! to the nation yeah! on Thursday uh, night. Uh, uh. White House Press Secretary Dana Perino says Bush's primetime address yeah! from the ornate East Room of the White House will be delivered in prime so time. So great. That is the best thing. What time? What time? <laughs> we, we, the specific time has not been set. But the speech is not going to be a swan song about Bush's administration, but rather one that looks forward and shows graciousness to President-elect Barack Obama. Does it actually say graciousness? Yeah, that was the word. That's not a word. Yeah, graciousness. Grace. I, I think it would be kind of fun to, to have him giving the speech and, and actual movers start coming in and going out. <laughs> and just, you know, like carrying pulling, stuff out. To put, they packing a lamp in the background or something. <laughs> just throwing duct tape, packaging tape to each other. I think it would be great if they were, like, unclipping his lavalier mic as he was. <laughs> no, 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 I got, I got more things to say. We need that, sir. That is so great. All right. Uh, boy, it's, you know, i got to tell you. It's so temp- it's so tempting just to just to one final time just just to, just uh, bring back that running commentary because you know the mystery science theater thing that we were doing the uh, the live commentary for the debates mm-hmm. because for the I think for the vice presidential debate and for the first and last presidential debate we were doing running live commentary like mystery science theater style oh, yeah. where we would have the you know the actual live feed of it and then we'd be doing our commentary underneath. Is this going to be carried? You saying all networks? Or? Oh yeah, yeah. His speeches usually are at uh, six o'clock. I would, I would guess that it's six o'clock. Sarah, are you, you going to go to a bar and watch it? What are you going to do? You and your, you have to, you have to watch it. That's the thing. Probably over at least the woods, I'd say, because that's where I watched all the election stuff. I mean, see, I'm so glad he's doing this. A, because now, now, now we get one more, one more last bit of comedic gold from that guy, and also, 
Look, I mean, let's just be honest. I mean, good, bad, and different, whatever. Like, he, it really has been a presidential administration quite like no other. I mean, that's the thing you can't disagree with. I mean, whatever, it doesn't matter whether you're my mother-in-law, who, like, will probably be hanging up a George W. Bush plate uh, right next to her picture of Jesus, or whether you're, uh, you know, you're my wife, you know, who uh, you know, is just a big bleeding heart and walked door to door, you know, for the last two elections trying to get him out of office. Um, I guess the, the two elections before the last one. But, I mean, it's, it doesn't matter. He, it really has been, it is the end of an era, and more so, I think, than almost any other presidency in recent memory. I mean, I put it up there, and I'm not, just because it feels this, this symbolic, I would say I put it up there with Nixon leaving. You know what I mean? Because Nixon was so polarizing. Yeah, yeah. Nixon, uh, yeah, people couldn't wait for Nixon to leave. And I, I, I think if you just look at the reaction of uh, people over the last year, year and a half with Barack Obama, that you, you could tell people, I mean, this is obvious, people wanted, wanted to change. I mean, it was obvious. And not just, you know, yeah, I'd like a change. It was, they were like, no, no, yeah. change now, please. Oh, sir, can I get some change yeah. over here? It was yeah. like, no, no, look, look, look at me in the eye. It was, <laughs> it, it was like Mr. Miyagi. Look, I, look, I, I want change. You know, it was, it was like that. Um, and the funny thing, I think we were talking in the break is that uh, George Sr. Bush uh, made a, a remark that, you know what, I think Jeb would be a good president <laughs> no, one day. And, not going to uh, happen. Uh, I just, Put those dreams away, sir. Right, and I just think even in the year 2600, uh, the greatest of the great grandsons of you know George, no. uh, you know W, not gonna it would never happen. It's like David Brent says, you know, it's good to have pipe dreams. Yeah. Um, the, no, he has. Um, you know what? Uh, as someone said in the movie Gung Ho, no, he has brought shame on whole family. <laughs> That's a no. There is a pox on that house. That's not going to happen. Yeah. That is so great. That has made this whole, I mean, you know what? It was going to be a good week anyway, probably. I just got that sense it was going to be a good week. It's going to be a great week now. That is so wonderful. God bless you, George W. Bush. And I don't care. You know what? I don't care what anybody says. I'm going to miss that guy. He is just, just, no president has given so much to the cause of comedy. I mean, he has, he is the, I mean, grist, thy name is George. It really is. That is just, I'm just ecstatic. Now, speaking that. of, uh, uh, this is a kind of like a, another type of news story, but speaking of uh, presidents. Are we moving on from the Bush thing? Uh, Should we close it, or is this related? This is an aside. This is a Barack Obama uh, watch. Well let's, do th well, let's do this, and then we'll close out the whole thing. So let's okay. do this story here. Yeah. Uh, it's just the fact that Barack Obama is deciding on uh, what kind of dog to get for the White House, and the two choices are a Labradoodle or a Portuguese water dog. What is a Portuguese water dog? I don't know. That sounds like a drink. Yeah, I, I think it sounds like a torture is what it sounds like. <laughs> uh, I, so I don't. Oh, no, no, no. Yeah, I think that's how we torture prisoners, isn't it? Yeah. But, no. Well, I, I they're going to get a shelter dog, though, isn't that the thing? That's right. They no, are. They were yeah. going to, but one of his daughters has allergies, so now they have to get a. I saw a, a woman from the Humane Society saying they had a big load. Uh, she had a thing saying there is no such thing as a hyperallergenic dog. The woman from the There's... Humane. I, I'm just. I'm not. Look, I thought so. I mean, I don't know for sure. I'm just telling you what I saw. A woman from the Humane Society said that that is a myth. She said that that is an urban legend, that there is no such thing as a hypoallergenic dog. There's only maybe you're allergic to it, maybe you're not, and it varies from dog to dog. I, I don't I don't pretend to know. But, like, the day the day after he said, well, Malia is al is allergic, and so we'll have to. And a woman from the Humane Society is like, everybody says that it's not true. It's just it's just wrong. So I'm, I'm just saying. I'm just passing it along. It's always tiger's flea powder. That's always the problem. <laughs> you know, if I'm going to get a dog for my daughter, I, you know, hey, what do you want? A, do you want a lab, a golden retriever? you want a poodle? 
No, I want to get a Portuguese water dog. <laughs> We've got to look up one of those. I mean, that doesn't even sound like it. Is that one of those things they have, like, in the world's ugliest dog contest where it's got, like, a grayed-out eye and no teeth? Jesus. Uh, All right, well, let's close the bush watch. There you go. There's your... Uh... He's the president in residence. He's kind of in charge. He's got the whole country state. Somebody's saying we ought to have some turkey slaughtered in the background. Oh, he's speaking. I am so glad. It does say about Portuguese water dogs, as you might have guessed, they're good in water. So uh, Jacques, <laughs> that's, that's good. Jacques Cousteau used to own one, and they're they're kind of duck-like. Oh, they're really cute. Yeah, they have uh, webbier feet than other dogs, which helps with swimming. And apparently it's going to be good as the White House has an outdoor pool. So they're just going to be... an outdoor pool? Yeah. Because the, Do they have an indoor pool as well? The inside pool was converted to the press briefing room during the Nixon administration. That's right. I forgot about that. Nixon had it paved over because, uh, and this, the story always was, Nixon had that indoor swimming pool paved over because he felt that J... So great when you hear Nixon say things like this. He felt that JFK had sullied the presidency by cavorting nude with Marilyn Monroe in that swimming pool. And so I was like, well, he sullied the presidency. I'm going to have it paved over. And so he like, had it removed because he thought that JFK had sort of like tainted the whole thing, so to speak. Fascinating. Uh, so it has webbier feet. Wonderful. I, I, I once dated a girl with webbed feet. Really? Yes. All of like all of her toes were webbed? Uh, well, not uh, up to the tops, but they they were webbed about halfway. Was she an excellent swimmer? Yeah, I I never swam with her. I just you know I never did that, but she uh, showed me one time she had webbed feet. It was kind of strange, and I don't know how it came up in conversation. Uh, it just. You know, it's not everyday conversation, but no, we were uh, sitting there, and she, uh, yeah. Like the man from Atlantis. Yeah. I'd, All right. I'd, 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 wow, why don't you take up swimming? Be an Olympic athlete, I guess. I don't know. <laughs> so. Sarah Dillon. All right. What, yeah. are, what are we to do here? All right. Let's do it. Are we going to do the uh, yeah. hunt for the worst story in the history of the world? Uh, All right. So if you, i, I got to get a different pen. Are you using this pen? You could use it, though. Are you sure? Yeah. Because my pen has just gone dead on me. Uh, and it's going to, you know. I don't like using a different pen. Where's your other pen? It just went dead. It's it's just it run. What are you gonna do? It run out on me. What? What are you gonna do? I'm gonna use this Comcast pen. I don't know. It's not the same as your other pen. I know. I know. Thank you. Might kind of throw somebody off if they're a little OCD about the pen. Worth the gouge out your eyes. Uh, what? All right, hold on. Let's see. And okay, so here's the way we play our game. If you have not heard this segment before, because it's been months, probably almost a year since we've done this. Uh, we just retired it. Why has it been this bad in a long time? See. I think you're maybe overstating how bad this, this story is. Oh, I know. I know oh. the story. I'm going to be reading it here. I have a texture thing, too. And that... Yeah. So here's the deal. I will read these two stories back to back. Keep in mind, these are both real stories. I've not altered them or fabricated them. I've edited them for length, basically. But, news hour. Yeah, these are not fake. Uh, so there's not like I've... You know, it's not like... In other words, it's not like I've written some stories, you know, just to make them grow. Like, these are, these are, from, uh, these are from the news. Uh, one is a couple years old because we've been using it forever. The other one is brand new. Got a bunch of people sent it to me this weekend. We will read both stories. At the conclusion of the second story, we will then Instapoll uh, at 503-733-2970, and you will vote on which story is worse, which story is more horrifying, the first or the second. Sarah Dillon, shall we start with the champion? Go yes. with the challenger? Yes. All right. Go ahead. We have our bed. We do. All right. Ladies and gentlemen, it's time for the Rick Emerson Show's hunt for... The worst story in the history of the world. Story number one comes to us from The Sun. A man who lived in his own zoo of lizards and insects was fatally bitten by a pet black widow spider, then eaten by the other creatures. 
Police broke into Mark Vogel's apartment to find Spider Batina, along with 200 others, several snakes, a gecko lizard named Helmet, and several thousand termites had gorged on the man's body. Neighbors alerted police after becoming alarmed by the stink. Horrified officers were met with a nightmare scene. A police spokesman said, It was like a horror movie. His corpse was over the sofa. Giant webs were draped over him. Spiders covered every inch of his body. They were coming out of his nose and his mouth. There was everything one could imagine in the world of reptiles. Large pieces of flesh had been torn off by the lizards and had been scooped up and taken back to webs of tarantulas and other bird-eating spiders. Uh, Loner, Vogel, 30, never invited people back to his jungle home, a small apartment in the German city of Dortmund. Police described it as a cross between a botanical garden and the butterfly breeding ground in the serial killer movie Silence of the Lambs. One tarantula had built a nest the size of a swallow's nest in a corner of the ceiling. He also had a boa constrictor and several poisonous frogs from South America. Spider expert and animal cruelty officer Gaby Bayer said he kept creatures that should never be allowed in the world of people. He had spiders so aggressive, they're the equivalent of a pit bull in the animal world. The reptiles were allowed to roam free in the flat. The heating elements on two tanks containing spiders and their termite snacks had exploded and allowed the creatures to escape. Vogel is thought to have been dead for between 7 and 14 days. There you go. That's story number one. Here goes story number two. This is, this is why Dave Paul won't come on the show. Here's story number two. <clears throat> story number two. Dateline Houston. You are allowed, you're not allowed to take off your headphones. You must listen, Sarah. A Texas death row inmate with a history of mental problems pulled out his only remaining eye and told authorities... He ate it. Andre Thomas, age 25, was arrested for the fatal stabbings of his estranged wife and her son. Their hearts had also been ripped out. While in the Grayson County Jail in Sherman, Thomas plucked out his right eye before his trial in 2004. A judge subsequently ruled that he was competent to stand trial. A death row officer at the Polinsky unit of the Texas Department of Criminal Justice found Thomas in his cell with blood on his face and took him to the infirmary. Agency spokesman Jason Clark said Friday, quote, Thomas said he pulled out his eye and subsequently ingested it, end quote. Thomas was treated at the East Texas Medicinal, uh, I'm sorry, Medical Center in Tyler after the December 9th incident. Then he was transferred and remains at the... Jester Unit, a prison psychiatric facility near Richmond, southwest of Houston. Quote, he'll finally be able to receive the mental health care that we had wanted and begged for from day one, said Bobby Kate, Thomas trial attorney. He is insane and mentally ill. It's exactly the same reason he pulled out the last eye. At his trial, lawyers argued he suffered from alcohol and drug abuse. He does not have an execution date. Thomas, from Texahoma, had walked into the Sherman Police Department and told a dispatcher he'd just murdered some people and had stabbed himself in the chest. Thomas told police he put his victim's heart in his pocket and left their apartment, took the hearts home, put them in a plastic bag, and threw them in the trash. Court documents describe the victims as having, quote, large gaping wounds in their chest. To summarize, Thomas' only remaining good eye has been pulled out and eaten. There you go. 
All right. We'll take a break. We come back. Your votes. Plus Peter Carlin. More of Ron Pivo. And more. Stay there. It's the Rick Emerson Radio Program. gentlemen it's that time time to take your votes for the search for the worst story in the history of the world story number one pet spider kills its owner man devoured by house of creatures uh story number two are you covering up your ears texas death row inmate pulls out eye and eats it oh my god his only remaining eye he already ate the other one in 2004 well, it didn't specify if he ate the other one. He just pulled the other one out. I wonder if he was trying to pace himself because they okay. were tasty, but he only had two. Oh, my God. It's like we've only got one beer left. All right. It's 503-733-2970. Uh, we will take your voting now via Instapol. 503-733-2970. 503-733-2970. Which story do you find to be more horrifying and off-putting? Story number one about the insects devouring their owners. Story number two about, you know... 503-733-2970. Uh, we will begin now with these uh, extant votes, and then I think hey, the delay will have caught up. Yes, sir. Hello. Hi. Hey, it's got to be story number one. All right. Why do you say that, sir? Well, the simple fact is is that story number one is one complete horror, where story number two was really three smaller horrors all put together. All right. So that would be three different incidents. All right. Fair enough. Thank you, sir. The- the, the eye, the heart, and the other eye, that's all three different things. So, As opposed to one big solid haymaker. Exactly. Uh, excellent. Thank you. Uh, hello. Hi, Rick Emerson. Show, uh, search for the worst story in the history of the world. Which story is worse? I'll tend to have to be story number one. All right. The insects. All right. Yeah. I, uh, I once saw an old lady that had been left alone with her cats for a long time. And yeah, yeah, we're going to move. All right, thanks. We're going to move on. Thank you so much, though. I appreciate it. All right. Uh, hi, Rick Emerson Show, Instapol. Uh, it is the uh, search for the worst story in the history of the world. Which story is worse? Well, I'm going to have to say number one, because in number two, it's obvious that his eyes were bigger than his stomach. Thanks so much. 503-733-2970. Which story do you find to be worse? Oh, God, it had to be the guy pulling his eyes out and eating him. What? Oh, what is that? All right. It's tasty, apparently, sir. Uh, that was disgusting. All right, thank you. I was cr- I'm cringing currently. Uh, uh, thanks. All right, it's 503-733-2970. Uh, which story do you find to be worse? Hello. Uh, I find it's the, it's still the first story. It reminds me of the pharmacy scene for the mist. It's, oh, I can totally see that. All right, uh, something yeah, in the yeah, German I- apartment took John Lee. Yeah, the, the the eyeball story just made me laugh. I thought it was hilarious. See, that's what I'm saying. To me, I didn't find the eyeball story, you know, like as off-putting as uh, some other folks. No, uh, I don't right. Right. All right. All right. Thank you, sir. It's 503-733-2970. 503-733-2970. We are uh, asking you which story do you find to be uh, worse and the most off-putting. Hello. Hi. You're on the Rick Emerson Show. Hey, Rick. Uh, story number one I voted for way back when. That's nature doing what nature does. It's gross right. and scary, but that's nature. All right. I'm going to go with number two because that's a guy doing that. That's gross. But uh, and I've got one more thing. Yes. No, bastard. All right, we'll do a couple more. Hi, you're on the uh, Rick Emerson radio program. Which story do you find to be worse? i got to go with number two, man. The popping and the, and the slime. It's just, just too much. All right, excellent. The slime. All right. Uh, thank you, sir. Hi, you're on the Rick Emerson radio program. Which story do you find to be worse? This is me? Yes, it is. Hello, sir. Uh, the spider one. All right. Excellent. That was disgusting. All right. 
Thank you, my friend. All right, two Thank more, you. and then we're done. Thank you, sir. Hi, you're on the Rick Emerson Show. Second to last vote. Which one is worse? Uh, still reigning supreme, number one. All right. Thank you. Final vote. Which story do you find worse? Hello. You'll love my nuts. <laughs> Thanks. Well, there you go. All right, ladies and gentlemen, the voting is done, and the winner and still champion... Man devoured by apartment of insects. There you go. Awesome, because I never want to hear that evil story again. Well, I'm going to put it in the pile. All right, there you go. Uh, hello, Ron Pivo. Hello. That's, right. uh, yeah, I just threw up in my mouth about three times. Ron doesn't know. look very very well after you read that story. We were all having fun, and then that kind of... Has that, uh, has it really, has it besmirched the mood? I, I think the fun has been sucked out of this uh, large room we're in. Okay. So let's try to uh, inject fun back into this with your top five. Are you ready? Five. Four. And there we go. Three, right, fantastic. Two, one, fire. Sorry that I've destroyed your ability to love, Ron. You really have. I see a broken man in front of me. <laughs> just, uh, it's like the spark in your eyes was crushed. I'm going to need help out. You guys know that, right? Let me just, I need to, and, and not that my top uh, five, which actually was a top seven, and now that it's morphed into a it top five. It was like five. a top 50. Right. I love it. I, it needs an explanation because, uh-huh. as I mentioned, I was born in '66. So by the time I reached five or six years old, I was listening to AM radio. Growing up in LA, uh, the big AM station down there was 93 KHJ. Yeah, Everybody listened to KHJ. Absolutely. It was Charlie Tuna. It was Machine Gun Kelly. I mean, it was just some of the yeah. DJs that I think legendary. Were, yeah, legendary. Um, and so I started listening to AM radio, and and that continued for a few years, and then I kind of morphed into the disco era. And from what I recall, in the late 70s, you either kind of went down the path of disco or you went down the path where you sat on the wall at 7-Eleven, started smoking cigarettes, and you listened to hard rock. Totally. Well, my sister went to 7-Eleven, and I started doing the bar and bat mitzvah scene, and I started doing the disco. So, um, But the songs that we have here, were just they're, they're imprinted in my head. I can't get them out of my head if I even wanted to. So they're mostly from the, er, the mid to early 70s. So she was, so she was like... Um... So you were like Disco Inferno. She was Blue Oyster Cult. I, I, she didn't go as far as Blue Oyster Cult. She, she, you know, she went down Ario Speedwagon, uh, Tom Petty, yeah. Rush. But that's as hard as she really got with Rush. But now on the positive side, because I'm sure she's going to call any minute, is that she introduced me to all those hard rock bands. Excellent. I mean, she took me to see Queen. Well, see, everybody should have a sibling that introduces them to something great. Yeah. So, I mean, we went oh, to Queen and... Uh, you saw Queen with Freddie Mercury. Oh, yeah. Was it great? Yeah, it was great. Oh, oh it was. So I'm, I'm, yeah, I'm trying to think what, what tour it was. It, it uh, I don't know if it was after night. It was Night at the Opera or... Uh, oh, it, it was back then and it was... Uh, I'm just filled with the greenest of envies right now. Yeah. yeah that wasn't my first concert. I was What's your first uh, concert? Uh, you know, I can't remember if it was... It was either Donna Summer, which my dad took me and my sister to, uh, or I went with a youth group... At the Universal Amphitheater in L.A., and we saw the Blues Brothers, John Belushi, Dan right, Aykroyd, right. play with Steve, Steve Martin. Martin. Yeah, that's yeah. a legendary concert. Those those shows that they did in L.A. with Steve Martin and, and the Blues Brothers were those are iconic. I mean, to, the, to this day, people talk about those. I, I mean, I, I don't. I, I must have been about ten or eleven years old, and I don't know if I was really into Steve Martin, but Steve Martin is at least back then and and for the next several years was my favorite. I mean, he's kind of morphed off and doing these you know crazy. Uh, Comedy. Had a pretty good life going. They said they filmed porn in your neighborhood. 
Yeah, yeah. Yeah, you had a pretty great dad. I'm going to go back well, and not when I was adolescence there. with you. No, they weren't doing poor when I was there. Uh, they're right. doing it now. All right. They're actually doing it now. And one guy actually had to move out of my parents' neighborhood because uh, the neighbors got mad that there were people walking up and down the street at midnight and yeah. there were bright lights. I'm serious, yeah. Uh, yeah. I'm so jealous that you saw Queen and that Blues Brothers Steve Martin show. Yeah. That's fantastic. Yeah. Uh, uh, all right. Loved it. Loved it. Uh, all right, ladies and gentlemen, these are Ron Peebo's top five guilty pleasure songs from the 70s, songs you loved way back when. Do you have the list or are you just going to play Sarah, do you have the list? I, I have the list. I can print it um, out. I, uh, do you want to print it out really quickly and then I'll kind of read them off? Mm. Hey, Richie, Sarah's printing something. If, if she plays it, I'll know it. So I'll go ahead. Go. We'll do it so I can do the big DJ uh, flourish. Yeah. Uh, Richie, if you want to go back to the promotions printer and pick that up from the printer by Lisa Wood, uh, Sarah is printing out the, uh, the top five as we speak. I don't know that Richie's actually listening to me. I think he was in the hallway with Greg Nibbler just now. I just saw him wander that way. So, Wallace. heard any good jokes lately? I have it because I sent it to you on an email, but I actually yeah. sent you my top seven of the seventies, so I don't know which. It's one. on my. I just, uh, I just took six through one. Yeah, it's on my. Uh, it's on my. It's on my email account upstairs. So Richie is presumably getting it off the printer right now, as we speak, any second, with the lightning sort of rapidity uh, that is the hallmark of Richie Bristol. And all of his uh, assistants so with the Jesus God. Yeah, I don't think. No, I'll have it because it's on my sent mail. I Seriously, got it right I here. think he was. I, I got it right he was like here. in the hallway talking to Greg Nibbler. All right, yeah. So she's uh, she's actually getting it from Richie Bristol right now. All right, ladies and gentlemen. Without further ado, these are flawless. Uh, Rob people's top five um, guilty pleasure songs. Uh, at honor, really, honorable mention. One Tin Soldier, ladies and gentlemen. The band was Coven. I haven't heard this forever. And it, I, I think it's about the Vietnam War. But, but this is what movie it was from. It was from Billy Jack. Yeah. The legend of Billy Jack. And uh, it's about Billy Jack who goes to save a, a Native American uh, town. And Tom Laughlin was... I just love that movie. I mean, he was John, John claude Van Damme to me before there was John claude Van Damme. He was the original John. Now, wait a minute. Is Billy Jack the same thing as The Legend of Billy Jack, or are they two different films? Yeah, no. He made three, I think, and the last one was Billy Jack Goes to Washington. He had one of the great... If you YouTube Billy Jack, he had one of the greatest movie lines ever. He was standing in front of this guy, and he goes, I'm going to take my right foot, and I'm going to bop you on that side of your face, and there's not a darn thing you can do about it. Hey, Sarah, can you drop the music bell a bit there? Thank you. Uh, well, that's because he had that great, like, Buford Pusser delivery. You know what I mean? That great sort of, you know, that great kind of the uh, the walking tall kind of yeah. vibe. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. Billy Jack was just, it was just it. It's funny how you can hear, like, that horn section, and you immediately just know 70s. Like, it is just the hallmark. And it was made for AM radio, you can tell from the production. Yeah. Definitely a one-hit wonder. I, I don't I don't remember anyone saying, I'm going to the COVID concert. <laughs> no, 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 uh, COVID's going to be, uh, they're going to be playing with bread. We got to go. Let's get all, like, let's get all effed up beforehand. And you can see it's building to a crescendo. Here she is. They killed the mountain people? And they wonder just that she's singing with. It's kind of a Joan Baez, I think. I was thinking that, but it's like if it's like if Joan Baez was trying to sing a Dolly Parton song. <laughs> uh, these are uh, 
Well, people's top five. It only gets better, folks. It only... His, uh, his top five seventies guilty pleasure songs. All right. You're saying them, Rick. No, oh, I'm sorry. Uh, number five, uh, the Partridge Family. Woke up and love this morning. I turned up and let me down and thought about you. I thought about the way that it could be. In the early 70s, on a Friday night, there was the Brady Bunch and the Partridge Family back-to-back. And when you're six or seven years old, that was must-see TV. Yeah, and here's the thing that I've learned since then is that David Cassidy really wanted to be a hard rock. Oh, yeah. He did not like the fact that he was pigeonholed as this pop guy singing with his mom and his, totally. his little sister was doing the tambourine, and so he, he, I think he, that's eventually what led to the downfall of the show, which was a very popular show. Have you read his book? No. Come on, get happy. No. Oh, he's, you know, he's, he's bitter. He hates everything. Hates his dad. Just, just like it's just. I think his dad died in a fire. Like not the literal, not the figurative, like on a message board, died in a fire. Like an actual died in a fire. Uh, but just, yeah, just, just, just dad issues. Like you wouldn't believe. Didn't he? And I think David Cassidy actually posed nude or largely nude for Rolling Stone at one point, thinking that like they take him seriously. He's like, I want to strip away the image. Yeah. It's like nobody wants to see his lower hairs. You know, that's not a thing people were asking for. When you're a, when you're a teen pop idol, it is to, to be considered anything but a teen pop idol. It's you can't. I mean, once you go to that island, it's it's hard to get off. Wow. Yeah. Ron Peebles, top five uh, 70s guilty pleasure songs. Number four, Terry Jacks, ladies and gentlemen. Seasons in the Sun. It was like the shindig performance. Tears would well up in my eyes when I heard this song when I was about six or seven. Because I, I, for years and years, I thought it was about a guy singing about his friend who was dying. Well, I later found out that this is actually a remake of a Belgian song. And it's kind of, you don't know if it's about... Uh, a guy's killing himself, he's leaving his wife, or about a friend who's dying. But this this was huge. This was, uh, you know, like, 73, 74, it was, it was huge. Terry Jacks actually has, I saw him interviewed on, like, one of those VH1 shows, and he has a huge yacht that's called Seasons in the Sun. <laughs> he's kind of dreamy in a very strange way. Really? I don't think I know what he looked like then. I've only seen him now. But it's from that era when you could have one huge song and it would just pay your bills for the rest of your life. please pray for me. It's just... I mean, people are going to be just depressed after the top uh, five songs of mine. Oh, we've done worse. I was so good. Yeah, you've had people pull their eyes out. <laughs> not in the studio. No, and not singing the songs. It'll, it, it'll get more uplifting after the song, but this was... Uh, yeah, I can't believe I was six or seven years old listening to, you know, Papa, It's Hard to Die. Well, you never realized at the time. I, yeah, I probably didn't understand the words. It's like that song, Timothy, by the boys. And no one really realizes it's about cannibalism. <laughs> and then you listen back and you go, oh, wow, that's disturbing. Yeah. Wait for it. It's a poppy little number. Really? They have like the weird, did he have like the, the chest merkin? They're showing him from the distance and kind of like... Oh, once you got him close, it was a different story. No, no, no. Once you see her with your glasses on, it's a, it's a different world. Dude. All right, ladies and gentlemen, uh, Ron Peebles, top five uh, 70s guilty pleasure songs. Number three, Alan O'Day, Undercover Angel, Midnight Fantasy. Boy, I'll take my life by Billy Joel for a thousand. 
This was closer to the uh, end of the 70s. Because uh, I remember this more about 78-ish disco era. I can't believe disco danced to this. possibilities here would have been uh, Beach Baby. I was considering that one. Uh, Hooked on a Feeling. Hooked on a Feeling. Yeah. And uh, Having My Baby, Paul Anka. That's the creepiest song. I know. Look <laughs> that weird armpit squirting instrument in the background. <laughs> Do we have that farting machine? Hook that up in there. <laughs> Boy, that, you know that, this is, you know what it is? This is like a really disco-y Paul Simon solo song. Like if somebody decided to Kodachrome or something, or like slip sliding away, get slip sliding away, but make it a dance mix. <laughs> this is pretty, this is a pretty great list. All right, ladies and gentlemen, Rob Pivo's, uh top five, uh, top five 70s guilty pleasure songs. Number two, Sweet. Fox on the Run. Uh, Good for you. Love this song. This is a great song. I love Sweet. This, this was Sweet also did Ballroom Blitz. Oh yeah. And I didn't realize they did both until I was looking at them over the weekend. They also did a great song called Little Willie. Yeah, right. I have Little the 45 Willie. of Won't Go Home. It's right, a great song. Right. Sweet were kind of part of that that 70s British glam thing like Slade. Someone else wrote their songs. And I, was, I looked them up on Wikipedia, and uh, then they decided they thought they thought they could do it by themselves. Right. And they got rid of the writer, and never did anything. No, that never again. works. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> That's always that is like instant fail, right? Then I'm gonna I'm gonna write my own music. Gone. Just like Meatloaf has the other guy. Jim Steinman. Uh, is you know as as the reason for Meatloaf's success just as much as him. Well, you know what? Every every Pinocchio needs their musically flatulent Geppetto. <laughs> a great song. I've really sat and listened to this song forever. I'm going to go and listen to my sweet 45. All right, ladies and gentlemen, Ron Pivo's top five 70s guilty pleasure songs. Number one, good for you, Andy Kim, Rock Me Gently. I was talking to Chris Paddock uh, from Rock 101 KUFO about uh, Andy Kim the other day. I have this one of my favorite uh, sort of overlooked pop songs, a song called Rainbow Ride by Andy Kim, who, you know, was just one of the, a guy who wrote a lot of songs for other people. Ain't it good? Ain't it right? How did you, now why is this number one? How did you arrive at it? I had no idea. <laughs> it, 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 seriously, I, there could have been 20 or 25. I just needed to put something number one and move on to something else. That's the I, spirit. Greg, I was just killing time. Right. Like a friend of mine who's a songwriter, and like occasionally he'll write a lyric, and it'll seem sort of strange or like it seems mysterious, and I'll go, what does that even mean? He goes, I don't know, dude, I'm just filling the meter. Yeah. It's like I had nine syllables to fill, and I, that just, that worked. Rock me gently, rock me gently. 
Yeah, I could have stayed on this for another, you know, week and flip off the list, and I just decided put something number one and be done with it. Yeah, and and you know, my sister, oh, Captain and Tennille, do Muskrat Love. It's like if I didn't like it then, it's a pleasure of mine. It's something I enjoyed back then, and I wouldn't mind listening to today. You know, I'm not gonna put Captain and Tennille and uh, uh, some of these other. I don't know, MacArthur Park. How about this one? This email just says, Ron Peebo rocks. Best top five ever. All right. There you go. Is that signed Jackie Peebo? No. No? No, the the much-anticipated haunting by the sister didn't materialize, so perhaps you pleased her with the list after all. Surprising. No. uh, If you go down, the the 70s had some of the best and worst. It was a a yin-yang deck. It really was. I mean, either you hit a home run or you just... uh, yeah, you just you just hated some of these songs. Excellent. All right, ladies and gentlemen. Um, and so now, when we return, um, I know that uh, you uh, I know you have uh, schedules and things and obligations and happenings. Yes. Are you making for the door, Ron? Peebo? Yes, I got to run. Right. I got to run. All right, ladies and gentlemen. Well, thanks so much for coming in. It was my pleasure again. Ron Peebo, friends again. and neighbors. Anytime, right. guys. Okay. Thank you for gracing our studio. We'll take this song to break. Back after this, ladies and gentlemen, it's the Rick Emerson Radio Program. Don't go anywhere. Ladies and gentlemen, it is the Rick Emerson Radio Program. Thank you for coming by. It's 503-733-4970. I forgot all about that. So Chris Paddock just uh, joined us in the studio just to commend Ron Pivo on his Sterling Top 5. It really was quite something. Um, And so we were all at at Dante's on on Saturday to see Hell's Bells uh, play, which was great. And we were talking with these girls, um, these girls sort of like the upstairs area where we were. And I mean, I don't mean to paint with a broad brush. I mean, there were exceptions, but I mean, if you were sort of there, and if you were either near the upstairs or if you were looking upstairs, you know exactly uh, who, who we're talking about. It's kind of most of that whole front row. And we were talking about how it was, I think it was uh, uh, Tony Howard, who's uh, one of our uh, fine account executives, and myself and Chris Paddock and his lovely wife, Tracy. And I must have missed part of this, but I guess one of, I guess one of the women gave Paddock the big junk grab. So I think I must have had my uh, attention elsewhere when that took place. I'd forgotten about this, though. I do remember this now that he mentions it. I guess I sort of blocked it out. So just at slack moments, the girls would all get up and, it, like, start gyrating around in what they perceived to be an alluring fashion. And it really wasn't. I'd forgotten, though, that in addition to all the sort of girls who'd Brandon. kind of been... Well, you know, it was sort of like a Woolworths perfume counter had exploded all over them. Uh, I'd forgotten that in addition to all of the sort of glittery uh, kind of tardy girls, there was this other woman, and I don't know who she was, but I know that she was um, she was a plentiful woman. <laughs> she was... There was a, you know, down. No, 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 I don't mean that. No, no, see, I don't mean that. I just mean, like, not enough, not enough clothes to hold in. The, I mean, there was the clothes were... Um, you could hear the threads uh, screaming, screaming, undergoing some serious, uh, I would say, serious sort of architectural stress. But at a certain point, she gets up, and I guess she was dancing, presumably at one of the guys across the room. But I think it was also for the benefit of Chris Paddock and Tony Howard and myself, who were all kind of sitting there. I'd forgotten all about this until Paddock just mentioned it. She got up, and she's like dancing, and she kind of puts her hands on her hips. And sort of bends over 
as though she's going to let the guy, like, look down her shirt or whatever. But so she's, like, pushing, like, her ass is sort of, like, pushed out toward us. I forgot about this. Then she starts gyrating like she's polishing a window with her ass. But then she hooks her thumbs. It sounds sexier, right? It doesn't. She hooks her thumbs in the sides of her pants and then just pushes them down. What? But so it was like a mooning slash How much of the... washing a window. Like... <laughs> How far down did she pull them? Like about halfway down the ass. Like oh, she, my like God. Half moon. That's not something you need to be seeing. And Chris Paddock said it was as though um, you were supposed to put money in the coin slot. I'm just saying. Oh, are we, uh, let's, uh, let's do, hold on, where did my, uh, where did this thing go? Hold on, I have, uh, I don't know where the hell it went. I, I just don't know for the life of me, I don't know where Richie's sounder went. Do you have it? I have no idea where, well, let me just see if I can find it down here. You had it yesterday. Or yeah, I think I might have deleted it. today, Monday? Friday. I think I might have deleted it uh, earlier to put the... Uh, there we go. There we go. Richie Bristol, if you can join us in the studio, please. That would be fantastic. A long way to go. And we know it's Richie Bristol because he's wearing a headband that says Richie on it. Is he really? Are you wearing a headband with your own name on it? I don't think you're supposed to... Yeah, I don't think you're supposed to do that. I think unless you're David Lee Roth, you can't get away with wearing something that has A, your own... Are, did you bring one of those eggs into the studio? No! Aren't you the... Didn't you tell me those are rotten? I don't know. It's you are, I you're usually, gambling you are not, on maybe rotten eggs. You are not bringing a rotten egg into the studio. I can't smell them. Okay. You know there I are other people who work here. By other people, I mean Kristen Bowie. So this is back on the... Okay, so if you didn't hear this early on in the program, so everything... <laughs> you shove the whole egg in your mouth? Yeah. If it, all right. So we're sort of... Now we become like the snake that eats its tail here, because we're back at the beginning. Okay, I can smell that, and I'm not saying it's rotten, but I'm saying I can certainly smell it. So if it is rotten, oh, Richie, you know, I forgot. Salmonella is something you should be messing around. Salmonella is not a toy, Richie. Oh, I forgot that yeah, I, I just don't. Funny. I don't care for the smell of eggs, regardless. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you shouldn't bring any more of those in here. All right, so let's back up. Why are you eating so many eggs? Because they're protein. They don't have no fat, no cholesterol. Five grams of protein. Eggs don't have, have any no cholesterol? Fat. No, not the egg whites. The egg yolks. You just too. ate a holy egg, though. No, I didn't. Look. Dude, don't throw the yolk in the trash in the studio. Were you really just going to leave an Richie, egg yolk in the, the studio? There. Seriously, go put, that the, go put that in the hallway. Leave it. Put it. Seriously, dude. Here, I'll put it in a pizza box. Better yet, put it in the kitchen trash, which is where, like, food goes. Oh, it won't fit. <laughs> Don't be a Scotty. Throw that away in the kitchen. You cannot be leaving, even you without your sense of smell, must know that you cannot be leaving an egg yolk in the trash in the studio We're at room it. temperature. We only have 15 minutes left. Really? Do you want to go tell that? To, why don't I have Kristen Bowie come in here right now and have that discussion with you? Oh, man, I yeah, smell seriously, that. No, sir, Richie, le, Richie, leave now, throw it away, come back. Good God almighty. All right, I so can totally smell that. Live in the intestinal tracts of humans and other animals. Why Actually, would he think he could just throw that away? I'm sorry, I don't mean to interrupt. Just throw that away in the trash in the studio and leave it. I'm getting cramps. All right. Okay, that's a, that's actually one of the conditions <laughs> what, what, of salmonella. So before we read all the con, all the uh, symptoms, you ate how many eggs this morning? Uh, I think I've eaten at least six. You've eaten or eaten, as you just said, at least six. And right. so, how? What are the the oldest of these eggs? Is how old? I don't know. It's I threw them all together. I but I mean, what is the oldest that you could have eaten? In other words, you had eggs from how long ago? Maybe Thursday. 
So that is because I left Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday, Monday. That's five days. I didn't eat all of Friday's eggs, so that would have been Thursday night when I cooked Friday's But eggs. it was like a sort of poultry grab bag where you don't know how old the eggs were. And you, you don't know like, if somebody over the weekend, because that means you're trusting that they've been properly refrigerated all weekend. Which they might not have been. Because sometimes I'll go in there and that door will be propped open. <sighs> Thanks. So, so yeah, oh, actually, okay. What are the, well, let's list off the, the salmonella symptoms. Right. Fever? Like do, you, do you feel flush? I'm hot. Look. That's, That's why I got my headband on, because I'm sweating. Diarrhea? Yep, I got gas. Abdominal cramps? Yep. Mm, You're kidding me, good. right? I got a headache. Do we have more? And it can cause... Uh, I got a headache. So they're living things that live in your bloodstream and can cause death unless the person is treated properly. That's great. Well done, Richie. I got a headache. How proud your parents must be at this point. My nose running. Uh, see, so it has to be treated within five to seven days. Well, so you got to the end of the week. All right, they're long-term... Uh, in, like their long-term consequences uh, it can last for months or years, leading to chronic arthritis, uh, irritation of the eyes, and painful urination. Have your you joints had... hurt? Not for a while. Uh, does your uh, does your business hurt when you go to use the bathroom? <laughs> no. Contaminated uh, foods <laughs> of animal origin, such as beef, poultry, milk, and especially eggs. Wait a minute. Now it's for how long? Does it, it, does it, does it say how long? That... Thoroughly cooking kills salmonella. Food may also become contaminated in the hands of an infected food handler who did not wash their hands with soap after using the bathroom. Well, so now on the one hand, you did cook the eggs. Yeah, yeah. Okay, they I are, overcook them usually because they I are hard boiled. I usually leave them on the stove and go play Xbox and forget about them, and I burn them. So on the I burn boiled eggs, yes. So on the one hand, you may not actually have salmonella from these eggs, but on the other hand, that just leaves us with the fact that you've got unpleasant cramping and diarrhea. No, it says. It says you should not prepare food or pour water for others until your diarrhea has been resolved. <laughs> your diarrhea has been resolved. Uh, fiber. Um, it, okay, but so you still do have many of these symptoms, which means there's something wrong with you. And in fact, let me ask you this, Sarah. If Richie has salmonella, can he give it to us? Yes. Really? How? wash his hands. Are you washing your hands? After I touch the egg yolk. But I mean, just a constant. Do we have Purell in here? Oh, yeah. All right, you got to start washing your hands more often in general, Richie. You don't want to be that guy. I do wash my hands a lot. Do you wash your hands every time you use the bathroom? Yes. With promise? soap? Yes. You promise now? Yes. Even yes. if you go to hell and because you lied to us? Yes, I do. I do. I, I wash my hands a lot. You don't just run them under the tap? No. Because all that does, you know, all that does is like no, clean have... off the germs. It just makes them shiny. No. So all right. Just some places that never mind. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> um, so, be... wait, are you saying that you are having stomach problems right now? I. My abs hurt. See, but, but, okay, but I'm not talking about your abs. I'm talking about your insides. Like, what about your insides? What are about you, all, the, all the tubes inside of you? Are you having tubal cramping? Tubal cramping? <laughs> are you having, like, digestive issues? Uh, I don't know if it's the amino acids I'm taking or... That's not an answer. That's a, this is a yes so what, or no. How different do you feel before and after you ate the eggs? How did you feel before the eggs? Three uh, eggs. I don't know. I was just waking up. So you felt normal, though? Yeah, but I did have weird colors okay please for, sarah am i uh, am i alone am i alone that this is feels like we're talking to scotty again i know i'm just asking just share. are okay. you having bathroom issues uh yeah okay, okay see that's what i'm talking about so here's the thing worst case scenario you have salmonella best case scenario you still have something and now you're in the studio and sarah and i are breathing the same air and you're like picking apart rotten like eggs that, and eating though. them and you're trying to leave egg egg yolks in the tr in the studio trash it's not like contagious the salmonella is contagious like that you have to eat something don't you yes but i mean if you're living in an egg yolk you know the poor little chim chim could get into the garbage or perhaps you don't have salmonella maybe you've just got a stomach bug and so here we are like <laughs> i remember how he was demonstrating how you could breathe in and out really close to me weren't you sharing food with richie like an hour ago no we didn't share yeah food. Oh. 
You shared food with Richie yes, like right. an hour ago. Cake. A rice cake out of a bag of rice cakes. He didn't into, touch them. His uh, grubby huh? paws had gone into those. Yeah, I didn't touch that one moving it to get the other one. He had to reach. Okay, so he was only touching the rice cake right next to the one you just ate. Oh, my God. Yeah. All right. There you go. look on your face. That's why I don't share food with anybody ever. Well, that's great. That's I washed my hands. Uh-huh. That's going to end well for everybody. Well, that's wonderful. Let's take a break. Back after this, uh, we'll play in the, that infomercial context when we get back. For the, uh, we'll, the context of that nuts comment when we get back. Jesus. I go give yourself a scrubbing right now, sir. I'm going. Back after this. That doesn't sound like flatulence at all. It totally sounds like it's me. It sounds to me like a door opening, maybe okay. a squeak. No, Are you going to play it again? Yes. All right, hold on. Now, before we play this again, we're going to play what we call the Likas tease here. This is the thing that says, coming up at 3, it's the Tom Likas show. You are saying you hear what sounds to, a bit like flatulence. Yes. And to me, it sounds like a stu- like the door open, and, and like a door opening and there's a squeak. It sounds like nothing like a horn. It sounds like right. a fart. Let's, let's hear it. Coming up at 3, it's the Tom Likas Show. Now back to Rick Emerson, only on AM 970, no. The Talker. Now, see, again, it, to me it sounds like, you know what it sounds like? It sounds like you're taking a single tine inside a music box and going, ding. But, see, I don't think that. I, I hear it every day, and I think that every single day. Coming up at 3, it's the Tom Likas Show. Now back to Rick Emerson, only on AM 970, The Talker. I don't mean to be impolite, but I don't know... Um, I know what you're going to say. I don't know how your body works. That I sounds. Me, I've heard other people. It sounds like a music box. So now, don't, don't get me wrong. All right, just one more time. Just the... If your flatulence sounds like a music box, then I mean, hey, good for you. I mean, if I mean, if only everybody was. My flatulence sounds like a piano. It's the darndest thing. I mean, let's let's one more time. Just coming up at three. It's the Tom Likas show. Now back to Rick Emerson, only on AM nine seventy. The Talker. So let me understand this, Sarah. Basically, there's no other way to get around this. Basically, your flatulence sounds like a you've got mail. No, sounder. I'm not saying it's mine, but I'm saying I've heard. Who? Who's who? who? Like girls. Girls have more delicate sounds. Emanate from there. Coming up at three, it's the Tom Likas Show. Now back to Rick Emerson, only on AM 970, The Talker. So basically, Again, you were worried that we couldn't fill three minutes. <laughs> basically, because we're in this awkward period of time where I don't have time. See, now, unfortunately, a lot of you already know where it's from. Uh, but I don't have I don't time. Know, I won't look it up. Really? Yeah, don't. Because I don't have time to play the whole. You're going to love my nuts. Which is from something that is fantastic. So we'll talk about it. We have to do it tomorrow. Oh, by the way, while I'm thinking about it. And we'll get back to this business of flatulence. Um, tomorrow, uh, Stacy Wilson, uh, former associate editor for uh, Portland Monthly, and will be pitching for the news. Wednesday, Dave Schmidtke uh, will be here. Yeah. And then other folks. All right. Well, we have. Are we starting? Are we ending the show now? We are indeed. All right. So basically, uh, some of your girlfriends, when they have uh, flatulence, it sounds like a Warner Brothers effect, like when Bugs Bunny's ears stand straight up. Doing because that's basically what yes, that is. Yes, like more than one person. Or like yeah. a new message like, alert if you have a cell phone. That, I don't think anything else except for that is what that is, and it grosses me out every day. I'm sorry. It seems that your ass is receiving a text message. 
All right. We want to thank CNN Radio correspondent Steve Kastenbaum, Bob Costantini, and James Roop, uh, and so forth. Rick Emerson, show producer today and every day by the lovely and talented Sarah Schillen for AM970, the talker in the newsroom. Uh, today, Ron Pivo on the phones, Richie Bristol, the gatekeeper, Dave's in, webmistress, Bridget from upstairs, and of course, CBS Radio Portland marketing guru, Susan. Don't F with me, Reynolds. Like us next. Michael Mara Show at 7. Phil Hendry returns tonight at 11. Thank you for listening. Be safe. Bye now. You're going to love my nuts.